the Tech Night Owl Live, the show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. On this week's episode, we bring back Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com to talk about the problems with the Android OS, WWDC, Apple's lawsuits over patent infringement, and lots more. We'll also hear from Avram Pilch at Laptop Magazine, where he's the online editorial director. He'll talk about Microsoft's problems, Google's problems with the Chrome OS, a little bit about Apple, and more this week on the Tech Night Owl Live. We have Daniel Aaron Dilgriff, Roughly Drafted Magazine and AppleInsider.com. Lots to talk about, certainly after the WWDC, the release date for Lion, iCloud, and all that stuff. Now about iCloud. Curious story came up about a week ago. This company in Phoenix, Arizona called iCloud Communications is suing Apple for trademark infringement. But didn't Apple buy that trademark from a company in Sweden? Well, I am not an intellectual property expert, but yeah, th- th- there's. it kind of depends on what kind of company you're running. You know, you can call something McDonald's if it's not related to food, wouldn't be confusing to that. But you would think iCloud communications would be related. So yeah, that's an issue for various parties to work out. Well, the issue here is it's very curious here. And I did a little bit of investigative reporting, which is never done that much in the media these days, as you probably know, traditional media. And I checked their website. They said they've used the name or something in their legal filing since 2005. Their website claims 20 years experience, three paragraphs later, 25 years experience. But they started 26 years ago. So then I looked at the corporate filing to see if they actually registered a name. And they registered something with the name iCloud in it May 9th of this year. (laughs) Their legal filing says they've used it since 2005. One of our readers did a Wayback search online to see what they could find. It went back to 2007. (laughs) So go figure. So you mean they're actually using the name in 2007? Well, they might be using the name iCloud Communications, But if Apple bought that trademark from a company that used the U.S. trademark, that had a U.S. trademark, you see, that's the key. They could register a corporate name in a state. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of circumstances where they're either casually using the name or they realize either that, you know, there's money to be made or whatever. And it's like, let's hurry up and get our finger in there. When you're making so much money, when you're like an Apple or a Google or somebody that's just like a Microsoft that just has this huge stream of money coming in, yeah, you're going to attract a lot of legal attention like that. What bothered me, I think, mostly was that I think we're one of the few members of the media that actually spent time to figure out who this company is and whether there is a synergy. Now, they provide Internet phone services. They also provide web hosting and co-locating, which is basically, ladies and gentlemen, where you take your web server and you bring it to a data center and you plug it in. That's called co-location, etc. Okay, so... I don't know. I guess that could have some confusion with cloud-based services. Yeah. I mean, and Apple has kind of a cavalier (laughs) sort of sense when they want a name. They just start using it, and then they work out the details afterward. Like iPhone. Or iOS. Or all those different names. Well, in this particular case, though, the problem is here is that you could have 50 states, 50 companies called iCloud that have registered in those states but do not necessarily have the trademark registered at the U.S. Patent Office. It's really confusing. Yeah, it's a mess. It's like the patent situation in such a curious beast. Speaking of patents, of course, we have this 
decision where Nokia and Apple made this agreement. So Apple pays Nokia a large sum of money up front, and then regular royalties on a number of doses at least indicate to me that Nokia was in the right here. Well, I don't think there was any question about whether Nokia had the rights to certain patents. Because a lot of this stuff is stuff that Nokia was one of the key developers of. Like, you know, it's related to 3G networking and things that, you know, Nokia is the biggest mobile developer company on earth for all these years. Of course, they have all this technology. Um, I think the question was, they, one of the things that Nokia was pushing was this idea of FRAND, of of fair and reasonable, non-discriminatory licensing. So when you create a standard that you want other people to adopt, the technologies that are part of that standard, you have to say, we're going to let anybody who wants to buy into this, buy into it at a, at a, a flat rate that is non-discriminatory. So the idea of going to Apple and saying, hey, you're making more money than everybody else in the mobile industry. We want you to pay three times as much as everybody else is discriminatory. The practical and- thing is if you sell a 1,000 units, you pay a 1,000 blocks of royalty payments, but they should be the same as HTC or Motorola or any of these other companies. Well, it's not necessarily that everybody pays exactly the same rate, but it, it's kind of in, in general terms, you can't just like totally in, – in an open market, yeah, you can charge whatever you want. But when you're making the pretense of saying we're trying to do an open standard, so we're, we're fairly marketing this to everybody, and then you turn around and try to stick somebody that is out, out maneuvering you in the market, that it's just kind of like this hypocritical play by Nokia. That's what was going on. That was Apple's story. And meanwhile, Nokia was also saying – if you want to license these critical patents that you have to have to basically sell a cell phone, we also want you to give us all of your intellectual property. So all these patents that were that were unique to Apple, that Apple wasn't, you know, making this pretense of licensing them out to everybody else to use. So I mean, Nokia was really trying to play hardball here, and they had some things that Apple needed, and they wanted to take a lot of Apple's value that was unique in the market, and so that's why there was a, a controversy. And Nokia was trying to present it like Apple was stealing stuff that belonged to Nokia. Well, no, they weren't. I mean, they knew they were going to pay, and they were setting aside money because they knew they were going to pay at some point. The point was, how much are they going to pay? So that's what the negotiations were about. And all these numbers that people are throwing around are just people pulling them out of a hat. They don't really know how much Apple's paying. We might get some sense of how much Nokia's getting once um, you know they start reporting their earnings and we find out you know, if they're making any money at all, because right now they're not. I mean, Nokia's in a tailspin, so... But yeah, that that story is kind of it's like a private negotiation between two companies that are arguing about stuff, and it, it's kind of nice to have it over because that was the thing that was going to go on for years, and no one was you know was going to kind of cloud everything, and so it's great that the two companies you know found a an amicable deal and have done it. At least here, Nokia knows they're going to get a fixed amount of money per iPhone sold or whatever or iOS device, anything that's using these cellular networks. Therefore, they're going to make a predictable amount of money. They can count on that. That's good for their revenue. Well, yeah, and they already, they've done that. I mean, it's been a huge part of their business model forever. They've been licensing that to everybody. You know, it's kind of curious. Even Microsoft, you know, they have a patent portfolio, and they're going around hitting up all the all the licensees like HTC that were originally kind of a Microsoft shop when they started moving to Android, and they're getting money for concepts that HTC is using on their Android phones. So, I mean, I remember reading recently that Microsoft is making more money licensing software to Android licensees than they are in actually selling Windows Mobile to phone licensees anymore. 
Isn't there also a question here that Google may be infringing on certain patents with the Android OS? Oh, yeah. I mean, Android is basically like Google's rebranding of, you know, the mobile the mobile platform that has always existed has been Linux or some kind of core OS with Sun's Java, mobile Java on top, and then occasionally running Flash. And that's what Android is. It's modified. Google looked at a lot of things that were related to the, you know, mobile Java environment and said this, you know, this could be changed differently. But Android is basically, I mean, Android, the startup that Google bought that was Android was kind of the 2.0 effort of the people at Danger. It's the same founders and a lot of the same principles. Uh, and that's what Danger was. The thing that Microsoft bought and turned into Canon killed was Java running on top of Linux. Or it, it may have been like a proprietary kernel, but it was basically you know, mobile Java on Linux. That's the same thing that, that BlackBerry is. BlackBerry is a, it's a specialized version of, of Java running on Linux. And a lot of mobile platforms are, that's basically what they are. A lot of embedded things. Is so, that why they do that? It's cheaper to develop something of that nature? That's the question that's on the table. But first, we have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and, of course, AppleInsider.com. And we've got more on the Tech Night Out Live. Okay, so who is watching your home when you're not there? Help protect your home with a security system monitored by ADT. It's the leader in home security. Remember, ADT is the number one monitoring service in the country. It comes with world-famous ADT yard signs. The monitoring cost is just $1 a day. You probably pay more for coffee. This is the safety for your family and your possessions. You can save up to 20% on homeowner's insurance. Just call Protect Your Home, your authorized ADT dealer. Call now and get $850 of equipment and activation free. Call 1-866-778-3127. Call 1-866-778-3127. And here's our fast disclaimer. $99 installation charge, 36-month monitoring agreement at $35 to $39 per month. Call for terms and conditions and license numbers. As many people know, ever since President Nixon took us off the gold standard, the U.S. dollar has been devaluating. What people don't know, however, is how this directly affects your personal finances. Is there a way to protect your portfolios from losing value? The answer to all of this is gold and silver. They both have maintained their purchasing power for 6,000 years. If you had $100,000 in cash and $100,000 in gold and silver back in 1913 and kept them until now, your cash would have the buying power of only $4,800. But your gold and silver would have the buying power of $3 million. The answer to protecting your assets is simple. Call John Ballman today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Get all your questions answered before your money is worth zero. Call 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Take action today while we still accept paper dollars for gold. That's 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. Instead, use EscapeHarassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law. And it works. 
Escape harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, 1-877-457-9009. That's 877-457-9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money-back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. Go off the grid for worry-free phone calls now. Yes, worry-free, affordably priced, no-hassle mobile, residential, or business phones can be yours at offthegridphones.com. Our plans start at only $14.99 per month for residential and only $39.99 per month for mobile. And our mobile rates include taxes and surcharges. That's cheaper than the top three providers in North America. What makes us off the grid? We never ask for your social security number and never run a credit check or make you sign a contract, something those large phone companies can't offer. Offthegridphones.com offer some of the lowest, most affordably priced plans in the industry. And popular low-priced mobile phones are available too. So make the switch today to offthegridphones.com for mobile, residential, or business phones. Get your off-the-grid phone by calling 800-600-5553. That's 800-600-5553 or go to offthegridphones.com. Affordable, private, all this and more at offthegridphones.com. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. And don't forget, you can visit the famous Tech Night Owl community forums at forum.technightowl.com Get in on all the action. That's forum.technightowl.com Daniel Aaron Dilger, Roughly Drafted Magazine, joining us from appleinsider.com and Roughly Drafted Magazine. He hasn't kept up on that much lately, but you know, he's always going to come out with a surprise. And so we're talking here about this basic Linux Java platform and the suggestion I made because you're seeing it in Research in Motion's BlackBerry OS, Android OS, etc., is it because it's cheap to develop because all the tools are out there and tested? Well, it makes sense. It's the way to make things happen. I mean, Sun spent a lot of money developing tools people could use it, and there was like a huge number of people that knew Java. So it was it's convenient for a lot of companies to set up that. It, I remember going to a mobile conference in the end of 08, and there's all this talk about how you know, where Java was, and that's what Sony Ericsson was doing and all these different companies. And there were so many problems because everybody had their own, it was just such an open platform. Everybody had their own, basically, Java implementation that each one of their phones had slightly different bugs. So if you're a developer writing apps for these phones, it's a huge, difficult problem to to get your stuff to run kind of reliably over all these platforms. So basically what Google did is take that sort of generic platform, give it a brand name, and a, a code base so that everybody's using the same code, or at least they're in the same family of code with Android because, you know, everyone's on a different version. But they basically corralled all the cats together and call it Android. And so that's why I always think it's, it's puzzling funny, I guess, that people talk about Android like it's something that just sprang into life after the iPhone. Well, no, it's, it's just it's the old mobile platform with a new bit on it. It's kind of like calling, 
you know, DOS Windows, this new thing after the Mac came out. It's like, no, it's just DOS with an imitation layer on it. I mean, it's just working to be what Apple did. So from that perspective, it, it, the rise of Android is not really that amazing. It's Of course it's there. It's, it's always been the dominant platform, but it still, still has a lot of problems. So today we look at Android as a specific brand, but the core of that operating system is something that's been around with other names, other designs, etc. Well, not just the core. I mean, just the whole the general strategy of taking kind of a basic Linux kernel and running a Java-type platform on top of it and having all your content in Flash. I mean, Google didn't invent some crazy new thing. They just massaged it a little bit and put an Apple-like interface on top of it. So it's not like it sprung from zero. It's it's just a massaged version of what was always there before and what was always failing before. And the people making the hardware for Android were the same people making the failed hardware before that people were struggling to use before the iPhone came out. So it's not some new thing. It's just the same old stuff that's competing under a new banner, really. Okay, so we do have an intellectual property issue, though, with Android. Yeah, because because it's it's completely based on... And when, when, when Android first came out, when Google first started saying, this is how we're going to make Android, there was like a hush because people... It was very overt. They were basically saying, you know, the main platform is Sun's Java ME, mobile Java. We're going to basically use the Java language and use Java development tools. But instead of using a kind of a standardized Java VM, we're going to use this modified version that we create ourselves, that we create our own bytecode for and run. And so we won't have to license anything from Sun. If you can imagine them coming out and saying, we're, we're creating this new operating system that runs Windows software using this modification step, but it doesn't use any code from Microsoft. Microsoft probably wouldn't be real happy about that. And we're going to give it away for free. You know, that, that that's the kind of thing that, of course, you know, Oracle that bought Sun, before Sun didn't really have a response to it. They were like, well, we're looking into this. And Sun is not was not really kind of a litigious company. They were just kind of hanging out in the background waiting to die, basically. But when Oracle bought Sun, they saw it as, and, and that could have been a reason why, a main reason why, Oracle wanted to buy Sun because it was like, here's money to be made. You know, we can use another almost conspiracy theory here. Oracle, their head is Larry Ellison, who's a pal of Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs might be laughing (laughs) up his sleeve over the fact that Oracle is going after Google, which has become Apple's enemy. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Apple could have bought Sun as well, but I don't know. I don't know how much Steve, the two form a conspiracy theory to make something happen. I think it's really just in the benefits of Oracle to, to do that. I mean, it's, it's in their best interest. And I, I don't know how much it would benefit Apple to have that contention going on. Because, I mean, there's plenty of problems for Android already. There's a story this week, more malware problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically, after Apple brought out basically how to do a mobile platform correctly, that a lot of other companies were already on the process of doing, I mean, like, BlackBerry and um, Symbian and Microsoft, to an extent, were all working on creating this the similar kind of sign software that you know, had had kind of a layer of security built into it. And Google comes out with Android and says, basically, yeah, you can do whatever you want. You know, you can run apps from anywhere, and you, you know, it's just like Windows from the '90s. And it's like, well, what was the result of that? You know, we we kind of suffered through that already. We don't need to to learn that problem again. If you don't have any sort of concept of security and you just think let's just see what happens and you already know what's going to happen yeah it's no surprise that that android is just this steaming festering pile of malicious software and what is it's unlike windows where windows you know there was a lot of value in the software you could run there's a lot of proprietary stuff that you could only run on windows and then there was also this you know a lot of malware that you had to be out watch watch out for 
that's not the case on Android. Android, there's very little software that's, that's functional and useful. You go to the store, it's just a pile of junk. You try to look for even like, you know, like an Angry Birds kind of thing, and it's just a bunch of guides about Angry Birds and like apps that are pretending to be Angry Birds, and it's just like you just dive through all this junk. And when sure, you but there are legitimate stuff. developers who go to Android as an alternative operating system. A survey showed what 47% of iOS developers are working on Android. Okay, well, that's kind of one of those ridiculous numbers that they pull out of a hat. So they talk to a bunch of developers and say, are you doing anything about Android? And it's like half of them say, well, I guess. Go to a bunch of Android developers and ask <laughs> them how many yes, are doing right? iOS. It's going to be all of them because that's where the money is. You actually go to a real developer and say, okay, what is your Android, you know, what are you building for Android? What are you building for, for Apple? And, you know, they may have an, you know, look at Facebook, for example. Look at their Android version of their app. It's junk. I mean, the, you know, the iOS version may not be perfect, but, it, you know, it's, it's their best effort. Android gets this, like, secondhand thing. And it goes for every, like, basically every Android app is just a steaming pile of junk. And this is the top-tier stuff. This isn't the, you know, lower-tier, you know, X who knows who creating a game. It's just crassy, crassy junk. Talk to a bunch of Android people, and I mean, Android users. Some of them, if they've only ever used Android, are, are sort of act satisfied with it because they're comparing it to, like, an archaic Sony Ericsson phone that doesn't do anything. But if you're... If you're used to the iOS experience and you go to Android, it's pretty frustrating. Stuff doesn't work. It doesn't work. What and, examples of that? Well, even even apps, you know, like the the main, you know, the top app of the world for some time has been Angry Birds. You go to Android, it's not the regular and you know, this is a pretty simple game too. This is not a difficult game. This is the kind of game that you could write in Flash and put it on the web. This is not a complex sort of development effort. But their business model, they can't sell it. They have to give it away for free and put ads on it. That tells you something about the Android market. Nobody buys. And if you look at every time, every time there's any news about, you know, somebody standing in front of a, a conference of people and they say, how many of you develop for Android? How many of you are actually selling your apps as opposed to, you know, having to give it away for free with an ad attached? There's nobody that's really making money in Android. I'll tell you what we'll get into, who makes money and why. Daniel Aaron Dilger joins us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
Is your church, school, or organization desperately looking for new fundraising ideas? Tired of the same old candles or candy, taking orders, inventory, and low profits? Well, here's great news. 10X Fundraising guarantees 10 times traditional profits with zero hassle. For an amazing free bonus, free shipping, and an extra 10% off, enter GCN when you go to 10xfundraising.com. That's the number 10, the letter X, fundraising.com. Or call 800-480-8797. Visit 10X Fundraising for 10 times the profit today. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, PlantSkid. PlantSkid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. PlantSkid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not PlantSkid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. PlantSkid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI-listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use PlantSkid, member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at PlantSkid.com. That's PlantSkydd.com. Ask about our new vole repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. PlantSkid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. If you drive for a living, you don't get paid to stop or wait in line. Keep your wheels moving with prepass. Bypass way stations. Fly by port of entry facilities. Stay moving at highway speed while the guy without prepass waits in line. Save time, save money. Call 888-401-PASS to try prepass free. That's 888-401-PASS. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Live with Gene Steinberg. It's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next. We're back with Daniel Aaron Dilger from Roughly Drafted Magazine at RoughlyDrafted.com and Apple Insider, where he does lots and lots of feature articles all the time. Except when people are moving in and out of his home, then he's got to stop for a while (laughs) and take a rest. And we understand that he deserves a rest. We all do. I'm going to have a vacation in about 35 years. I've got it all booked. I think I'm going to go to Mars. And maybe I'll stay there. I'll have to see. But seriously speaking, the point being here is that in Android land... 
few if any developers make any decent amount of money and they're not doing it for games fun and games you know yes some people develop software for the heck of it but other people are hoping to feed the family yeah i mean just in general if you're if you look at people who are developing and, and the people who are developing for android are primarily people who are attracted to the idea of open source software which is fine it's people who are hobbyists people who don't want to be um you know, necessarily constrained by the design principles or objectives of Apple or IB or, or um, Microsoft or some other company like that. But if you're trying to make money, there's currently no money to be made in Android as a software platform. And a main reason for that is because the platform does very little for security in terms of piracy or in terms of malware. If you even if you develop a great app and put it on the store, you're just going to be so surrounded by junk that no one's going to be able to see your app. There's no equivalent to iTunes that features stuff. So it's very much like, you know, Apple's just a really good retailer. They're very good at merchandising stuff. And that's why they're good at developing third-party uh, stores. So they have the App Store. They have iTunes, of course, which has been, you know, just taken over the world for the last 10 years. They have this iBook store that they're working on. They're, they really know how to sell and feature content. And it's not that you can't ever criticize Apple because there's a lot of people, especially when apps came out, everything was new and they're trying to figure out where's the line, do we, should we, how much should we censor for content to protect children, that kind of thing. There's a lot of controversy of, of how, you know, how is Apple doing compared to how I would, you know, my personal idea of what perfect is. So Apple's made mistakes and they've done, you know, they have every step that they've made hasn't been golden. But overall, Everything they've done has just been brilliant, and they're printing out billions of dollars in checks for these developers. Google has no experience in selling anything. Their storefronts are trying to put up ads on stuff or trying to get people who are watching YouTube to, to pay for a movie. That is very entry-level stuff. So to think that Google is just going to jump in and start selling like Apple is kind of ridiculous. Isn't that kind of strange here, though? When a company comes out with a new product, oh, Google says we're going to have this service. It's going to be Android OS or whatever. Or this company has a tablet computer. Far too many people in the media assume because it's a big company, it has to be successful in the marketplace. Yeah, I mean, that's, there's just no precedent for that. If you look at other companies, just because somebody's doing something doesn't mean other people can figure out how to do it as well. And that, that goes for a lot. I mean... You look at the car industry. There's a lot of established players in the car industry that make really good cars. You know, if you look at, I mean, I don't know a lot about Mercedes-Benz, but, you know, you look at a car company on that level, they've been making cars for a long time, and they know how and to And you know what's funny? Really I nice. want to tell you something, Then Back in the 80s and the 90s, when I was actually making money for once, I bought and leased some pretty expensive cars, at least for me. Back in the 1980s, I leased two cars, two Mercedes-Benzes. You know, a 190E, which is equivalent to the current C-Series, which is their entry-level design, and a 300E, the first 300E back in 1987. I had horrendous problems. They were buggy. So well, because was, it's expensive doesn't mean it's reliable. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, maybe that's not the best marquee to, to point out. But it's okay. There's some I'm just doing it to drive really you crazy. Cars, that's right? all. I mean, they're experienced in making cars. Now, somebody else who's entering the market, or is like some big, you know, Asian conglomerate that makes everything from, you know, oil platforms to TVs to, you know, canning peanut butter. Just the fact that they want to make cars doesn't mean that they're going to make great cars or even good cars. 
So there's a lot, you know, Daewoo comes out and they start making cars and everyone's like, oh, these are, you know, oh, actually, these are awful cars. I'm going to stop making them. <laughs> you see that a lot in the tech companies where, you know, Apple will do something. And when Apple does something, they spend a lot of time hiring really smart people who know how to do it for somewhere else. If you look at the retail efforts or, you know, anything like that, they bring in a lot of people who know what they're doing. They work on it for a while. And then they kind of suddenly spring it on the market of here's what we're doing. And then they constantly refine, refine, and refine, and refine. And it makes it better and better. And they have billion-dollar businesses that they just create. Like every year, it's just a new billion-dollar business. And people look at that, and they don't see how much effort goes into that. And they think, oh, well, that you know, company X can just walk in. And you know, Samsung, they make phones. They should be able to make tablets. And it's like, well, not necessarily. Well, they make great TV so, sets, at least. I mean, yeah, if I, I buy a Samsung TV, I'm going to get something that's state-of-the-art and really does something really good, but then TVs are pretty much commodity products because there are, you know, three or four other manufacturers that also make great TVs. Yeah, and if you look at the experience of a TV, a TV is basically turning it on and changing channels and volume. There's not a whole lot of interaction involved. And when you start having to do interaction, when you're trying to figure out how to use a feature on one of these TVs, like I have a, I have a Samsung TV and it does some nice stuff. It does 3D and, you know, there's some kind of cool little features on it. But you start walking through how to set things up and it's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of like using Windows, maybe a little bit less friendly than that. Um, same thing with cameras. You know, if you're trying to figure out how to use a camera and it's new to you, it's like, this is kind of requires some expertise in how to use. What Apple does is they make stuff that's really easy for anybody to use. So first with the iPod and then, you know, the iPhone and now with the iPad, they're really accessible. That is the part that people don't know how to do because that is a lot of effort to make things like that. And everybody else is not trying to make things that work like an Apple product. They're trying to make things that look like an Apple product. So everybody else is coming out with a tablet-shaped device that's weird and buggy and slow and, you know, has a faster processor, but it's still slower, you know? And You know, it's funny when you say that. My wife gave me this newspaper column. I forget which publication, possibly the Wall Street Journal. And they're comparing a 10.1-inch Samsung Galaxy tablet of some sort against an iPad. And she says, well, it's got a bigger screen. I said, that's fine. The price is the same. But then she notices, gee, the battery life is only five hours and some odd minutes, whereas with the iPad, it's over 10 hours. Suddenly, she starts seeing differences. And she's not the tech person in this family. She's not the expert tech person. She is only concerned about how the things work. Yeah. When you start using it hands-on, then you start noticing, whoa, the feel is different. And so there's a lot of things. Like with Android phones, I notice if, if somebody goes from a BlackBerry or something to an Android phone, they're pretty happy with it. When they go from using an, an iPhone to an Android phone, it's really frustrating. And the, the difference is that today's Android phones are you know a mile ahead of yesterday's phones and the phones from two years ago and three years ago, which were almost ancient now. But they're not on the same level as Apple stuff. And then you know a lot of people in tech media are trying to suggest that they are and that they're just as good and that they have better features. It's like, no, they're not, because they're not trying to be the same thing. That's the argument I have, of course, with Consumer Reports, where they draw all sorts of distinctions. Like, for example, they're doing all-in-one computers in the current issue. And they relate this other box all-in-one better than the iMac in ergonomics. In what way? Are they talking about operating system? Are they talking about turning on the thing? Is the power button more easily accessed? What are the ergonomics that they tested. Yeah, and that's always kind of been the case of, it's, it's easy to take two products and take key features of one and compare them. But like overall, there's, I mean, Apple does a really good job because they're, they're working to make, that's what Apple's money comes from, is selling hardware. So Apple does a very 
Apple invests a lot of effort in not making just the hardware, but also making software that makes the hardware more valuable. Other companies have either just tried to make cheap hardware and relied on Microsoft to make it better, but Microsoft is not really in the business of selling hardware. So they're in the business of selling kind of like software with more features, more frills, more frills, and it just becomes a mess. Same thing with Android. Google doesn't make any money from selling a great overall product. They make money from having their software spread broadly on everything. That means junk hardware and high-end hardware. That means the platform is stretched across all this different stuff. That means apps that work great on this are not going to work great on that entry-level phone. But Google doesn't care. They want their platform as broadly as possible because they make their money from putting ads on everything. So I would Android think, though, that if I was someone not who... supposed to be as good. Yeah, let me just break her. We have Daniel Aaron Dilgriff, Roughly Drafted Magazine, AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. Devon Think is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devon Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off, all there at devontechnologies.com. That's devontechnologies.com. Where can you find a super strength supplement for thyroid health and thyroid protection? Right here at thyroidki.com. Thyroid KI is a super strength potassium iodide supplement formulated to support optimal thyroid health and protection. Thyroid KI is made with only high-grade ingredients and is independently tested for purity. The potassium iodide found in Thyroid KI is absorbed by the thyroid and may offer maximum protection against radioactive iodine exposure. At only $19.90 for a 30-day supply, Thyroid KI is independently tested for purity and is formulated in convenient 32.5 milligram tablets for easy administration in children and adults. Visit thyroidki.com. That's thyroid, the letter K, the letter I.com. Thyroidki.com. Use coupon code GCN for a 10% discount. Again, mention coupon code GCN for 10% off your order. Call 855-599-9444. 855-599-9444. Again, that's 855-599-9444 for Thyroid KI today. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to RestoreYourHealthNow.com and choose Liquid Zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at Restore Your 
RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800-880-9976. Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. You've heard a lot lately about zeolite, but what is it and why do you need it? Zeolite is a beautiful, complex, crystalline structure that encapsulates radiation and odors. Zeo King Zeolite naturally eliminates radiation poisoning your body may pick up from x-rays, security scanners, or nuclear fallout. Zeo King flushes environmental toxins absorbed from smoke, cell phones, and chemicals. So it detoxifies heavy metals including mercury, lead, and cadmium. Zeo King Zeolite helps boost your immune system, allowing your body to balance itself and cut off food supply to cancer and parasites. Order your Zeo King Zeolite now from zeoking.com for only $39.99 and receive a free month supply with every order. Call 888-402-6779. That's 888-402-6779. Or visit zeoking.com. That's Z E O King.com for natural elimination of radiation poisoning. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Do you know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl. Live with Gene Steinberg. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine, AppleInsider.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. And we're talking about the fact that, you know, with the Google Android OS, it's not the user experience, it's whether you click on the ads. Well, that's where Google makes its money, yeah. But also, I would think if you have a bad user experience, are you going to be happy about the ads? You might say, well, gee, this thing is such a horrible product. Why do I even want to bother dealing with clicking on the ads? Why do I, I waste my time? I can't think of a, an example in technology of anyone who sells ads being too worried about the experience of the user. Well, you're worried about them clicking on the ads. Look at where Google makes its money, the web. Does the web give you a good experience? The web is awful. Google's ads are awful. I see Google ads on my property, you know, you know, stuff that I write for and, you know, my website. Some of them are just like horrifically fraudulent, telling you to, you know, you want something or, or you're going to this fake site that's just like total fraud news. And it's like, how are you putting these ads on my website? Google doesn't care about the experience. Google puts up anything to make money. They're, I mean, Google used to be sort of classic. It used to be the, the web was just destroyed by Yahoo and Microsoft, putting up those flashing, you know, junk ads that were just like in your face all the time. And Google came in with these classy text ads that they kind of stole from Overture. But they came up with this new way of, of advertising that was kind of off to the side. And, you know, if, oh, here's something that's interesting. It appeals to me. I'm going to click it and benefit from it. And so Google used to be classy. That was like 10 years ago. And then they just kept getting bigger and bigger. And they basically bought, well, they bought DoubleClick, which was... You know, about as evil as you can get. And since then, all the. <laughs> Why all do you call it evil, by the way? Tell our listeners. Double click? It's just one of those awful ad networks that is just all about shoving stuff in your face. The web sucks because it's. You go to get content and there's like the flashing monkey and there's like the, all this junk just in your face. It's really unclassy. It's not like, you know, you open up a nice magazine and there's, there's classy ads that are, you know, this is thought provoking. This is like catches your attention doing something clever. No, web ads are just like the most 
lowbrow junk that's just flashing and jumping in your face and popping up stuff. And that's what Google has embraced. And they're just as bad as Microsoft and Yahoo back in the day. The junk on the internet, Google is directly responsible for. They pay for all these sites. They are the found the, the funder of all these junk sites. And they're making some kind of efforts to rein in some of this. But when you search for something and you get all this junk, that's total not content, but it's trying to make you click to go through the site and through the site, and then you get to where you're looking for, they're getting paid for all those. And they're getting paid by Google. Google has destroyed the internet. They've made it just awful. And a lot of people don't realize that because they've just acclimatized to the fact that the internet is kind of frustrating to work with. But the reason for it is because Google, and, you know, if it wasn't Google, it would probably be somebody else. But, you know, Google is culpable for the internet being awful. And Apple, it's kind of interesting, Apple is not trying to do the same thing because Apple doesn't make its money selling ads. Apple makes its money selling hardware. And so... There's very little ads in Apple stuff. Apple, you know, created their own ad network with iAd that is designed to monetize ads, but it's it's trying to do it in a classy way. It's like here's this little little box that you click into and you open up into this kind of web environment where you can explore on your own. But it's not that, that just jump in your face and, and get cheeseball ads that are lying about something. It's like classy advertisers presenting a you know a nice experience that you actually want to go into and you can leave at any time so they have to make it something that you'd want to explore that's a very different experience so apple's is a very high road let's make a really nice product and let's make really nice ads for some things but primarily we don't want ads we want to read our email we don't want to have you know ad banners junking our email just because there's a little bit of revenue to be grabbed from that doing that because apple makes its money selling hardware and if you look at the amount of money Apple makes, Apple makes huge amounts of money selling hardware. So they don't have to do that. They don't have to, like, dip into the b- bottom of the bucket. Where Google, Google's entire operation, all the ads of the Internet, because Google sells almost everything on the Internet. You know, they have, they're, they have a huge dominant role in, in Internet ads. Google's entire operation is smaller than Apple's iPhone business, which is, you know, half of Apple, maybe. But, I mean, that, that puts things into scale. Google is as big as Google, Apple's phone operation, iPhone, not including the iPad and all that other stuff. So when you look at things from that perspective, it's like, wow, Apple is so far ahead. And everyone's patting Google on the back and saying, oh, yeah, you're you know ruling the world with Android. No, they're not. They're just bringing this trashy world of the web onto the phone. And some people are going to suffer through that and enjoy it. But increasingly, people are seeing the difference. And this whole kind of year of Android that I like to call out of 2010 is starting to fade, especially in the U.S. Android is not growing faster than, than um, iOS is anymore in the U.S. It's totally peaked. And I think that's going to happen in other places, too. Because I, I think people want a good experience. I don't, I don't think they're ready to just be cheap. And if you look at cars, it's kind of the same way. There's a lot of people who buy nice cars. They don't have to. They could buy a cheap, junky car with you know, an ad wrap on the outside that was paying half their car payment. But people don't want that kind of experience. People want to, have to drive a nice car, and they want to like, feel good in it. They want a car that's fast and whatever, not one that you know, stops every once in a while and plays an ad through the, the radio. Well, you know one thing about cars. Even people who buy small cars because of the high price of gas... They don't want just a cheap, small car like in the old days. 
They wanted with the navigation system and the fancy radio and the Bluetooth and the leather seats and all the extra comfort features. Yeah. So that's why I'm not so bullish on Android. It's not it's not because I don't want Android to exist. I I, I think um you know, I think it's fine to have choice in the marketplace. But I think what people really want is not what kind of the general pundits of the media seem to think people want. I think they're wrong. And I think the whole Windows thing was kind of an anomaly because, you know, Microsoft took this position. They they kind of fell into this special role in history of controlling everything. And, you know, once you do something, the reason history doesn't repeat itself is because some people pay attention to the past and they learn from it. So when a company makes mistakes like Apple did in the early 90s, or when a company takes over and does something really kind of scandalous like Microsoft did in the 90s, other companies are watching. And you see Apple is not making the same mistakes as it did. And you can also see Microsoft is not able to make the same um, breakneck deals that they used to be able to do. They used to just walk into an industry and buy out a couple things and tear everybody else down and advertise that they were going to come out with something and it would just kill the market for everything that exists. They can't do that anymore. They have no power to do that. People don't believe them anymore. You know, they're coming out talking about what they're going to do with Windows in two years and people are just like, oh, well, let's see. They've lost that power to just walk into a market and bluff their way to the top. Isn't it interesting that Microsoft, a week before Apple's WWDC, says, see, the next version is Windows. It's going to have touch, too, right? You see, we stole those features from Windows Phone 7. Yeah, it's kind of like they're, oh, it, it makes me think of the Surface, you know. It's just like, here's a tech demo running on top of Windows. Except this time, it's not even running using, you know, Silverlight or whatever. It's, it's web apps. And people, you know, there's some Microsoft people that are trying to be impressed with it, but even developers are saying, what are you talking about? We're, we're Windows developers. You know, don't expect us to make web apps. How, how are we going to use these skills that we have if you're... Uh, what people don't realize is, you know, they've, they've kind of shown PCs. Their idea of, of PC running Windows 8 is that you have web apps that look kind of like an, like an iPad-type experience where you're doing direct touch and stuff. That's, you know, cleverly animated and looks nice. And then you swipe it to the side and you have Excel running in the background. It's like, oh, isn't that great? Here's a Windows, you know, a classic Windows application. And it's like, we haven't worked out exactly how you're going to go between touch and keyboard, but that's something that everybody assumes are going to work out fine. Well, the problem is this stuff really only makes sense on a tablet-type device where you can touch, like an iPad. And those devices are going to be running ARM chips. And Microsoft has already made it clear that they're not going to emulate Windows software, old Windows software, on ARM chips. So the tablets that Microsoft makes are going to be web only. They're going to be Windows 8 apps that are web apps. So their strategy for the future is pretty much the same as Chrome OS and HP's Palm OS. You have this new web OS layer that people have to learn and develop for. And those devices are not going to run Excel. That's a pretty big problem. You get a PC and you're going to be, you have this like superfluous touch that doesn't make any sense on a PC. You're going to it be sounds able to like to me they've made so many that. touch options, Daniel, that you can almost go crazy trying to figure out what they all are. I mean, last week, for example, I was talking to Adam Inkst, and we were figuring that we only use a handful of touch gestures on our Macs. 
and we don't use all the stuff that Apple's providing, but Microsoft is wants to maybe increase that beyond anyone's comprehension. We can comprehend. We have Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this This is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. One more time with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine and Apple Insider. We covered a whole bunch of things, the mobile phone space, the operating systems, Microsoft now. And that's an important thing, too. It's not just having all the thousands of features, but making them accessible. Do you think even Apple has too many touch gestures now? Well, it's fine to have plenty of test gestures if it's not critical to using it. It's great to have things that experts can use that work better. But if that's the only way to use it, then it becomes a problem because you have to memorize all the stuff. It seems to me that what Apple's doing and using the, their, their newest stuff, they're making it so there's a lot of things you can do. And if you do something inadvertently and you bring up you know, mission control or something, um, it's not hard to get back out of it. It's not like you're dumped into something where you're like, oh, man, how do I get back out of this situation I didn't try to do? So, I mean, the, their gestures are are actually fairly conservative. And when you do something that you don't mean to do, it's it's easy to get back out, where a lot of companies don't really get that. They think you should just have all kinds of possibilities. And once you go somewhere, you're just in that land and you have to figure out how to get back. And you just have to know how to get back kind of thing. So Apple does seem to be kind of aware of how to do how to introduce complexity in a way that doesn't just shut people out or make you read a volume of books to understand how to work something. One of the problems, I guess, that Microsoft has is they make their stuff so complicated that it takes power users sometimes to figure it all out, and the power users say, well, I like Windows because I can do all these extra things. Exactly, and that's, you know, Microsoft's big fan base has always been people who like to have, you know, be in this high, high priest class where they're explain to everybody else how to do things. And it's like, well, that worked well in the PC era where you had a few people using PCs for their job and you could be the smart one that shows them how to do crazy things that don't, you know, they're not something that just makes sense. It's like, you have to know how to do this and do this and do this. And it's like, oh, wow, you're really smart because you're showing me how to do this. And, people, you know, there's some people like that. Apple stuff has always been, at least, when, you know, when they're doing it well, has always been intuitive, you know, you don't have to think about how to do something. You're just like, oh, I think you do. Yeah, oh, here, here's working the way I expect it to. It just it does it. Apple's kind of consistently refined that. And, you know, they're not always perfect in what they do, but that's kind of the, the goal is to make things that you don't have to read a book to figure out how to do it. It just 
works. And so things are consistent and things, the, the principles of, I remember reading, you know, back in the early 80s, the, the design guides for Macintosh and thinking, wow, this stuff is really smart. Somebody thought about this for a long time. The idea that when you do something, it, it should be obvious how you got from where you were to where you are. And it should be easy how to get back. You know, it's basically, you know, general principles of how to make things not confusing. And other companies in the tech world just didn't have that much respect for, for that. And they would look at Apple and say, oh, this is a toy because this is for simple. You know, this is, you don't have to think about how to use computers. And it's like, well, you shouldn't really. You pick up a hammer, you don't have to, like, read a book on how to use it. You just do it. You don't? <laughs> well, I mean, you might need some specialized knowledge if you're doing something special. Um, you know, there may be techniques you could learn of when you're using some specialized tool. But in general, you should be able to pick up most tools and be able to use them without having to learn how to use it. And that's kind of what Apple's always kind of aspired to do as a company. And other companies are just not like that. They're Because it, that's a lot of work. And so the main reason that the companies are, are not really pursuing that is because they don't want to invest that much effort in, in making things that well. It's easy to do, you know, 60% of the effort and do most, you know, get most of the way there. So it is, as long as it looks like iOS, then yeah, people will buy it. Well, I think people are getting more sophisticated and they're really looking, they're, they're seeing that more, that more immediate, you know, this actually works and that's a frustrating mess. Now let's go look at iOS 5. And of course, we've all seen the word about the developer preview that the beta copies developers have received it'll come out this fall obviously we don't want to break any ndas but based on what apple has said and what you've seen what's your perception of ios 5 it's a steady progression of where they've been going um they're adding a, a lot of if you look at every time ios comes out right before they come out with something people have the short list of like oh wow android does this and this and this and ios doesn't and then apple solves all those things you know so it was like you know the thing with copy and paste people were just like shouting about that for days and then you know apple came out and like oh we did it and their implementation of copy and paste was quite a bit better and it still is and if you look at other examples um you know people would point out kind of glaring emissions like the inability to do mms or tethering or something like that and then took them a while to figure that out because they're working with all these partners and now you know it's there and it works and it's kind of the same thing with what they're doing in in ios 5 you know some of the the big obvious features are notifications and one of the things that that people who like android talk about is um widgets and so apple made a notifications bar that has kind of some widgets in it you know right now it's like weather and stocks and you know can you anticipate that getting more sophisticated with other stuff but it's done in a better way so instead of having just this layer of apps that are kind of always on and open and pulling and you know using your data and constantly slowing your system down you have something that only works when you slide it down so it's it's kind of ma- matching the the features that appear to be missing from other places, but doing it in a way that's actually better and and more thought out. And so it's getting increasingly hard to say that any, anything else has features that that Apple doesn't have. Do you but know of anything in Android that Apple should have and doesn't? Um, well, when you say should, that kind of changes it. There's a couple things that Android does that Apple's not doing on purpose. Um, you know, widgets are one example of that. I don't, I don't think the iPhone would be better if you had a layer of little widget things like active weather or something that's just constantly working, whether you understand whether it's working or not. Um, I think, I think their implementation of that integrated into the notification pull down makes a lot more sense. 
Um, but I think overall, as a platform, there's nothing that Android offers that's that's like this is worth moving for. Where there used to be, I mean, it used to be tethering was like Android had tethering, and Apple just couldn't get it out. So if you wanted to tether, it was kind of like well, I mean, tethering in Verizon for for US users was a a pretty big draw for Android. That's no longer the situation. Uh, I think originally you could say you know there were you know starting in kind of '08 or I mean. I think in kind of 2010, remember at the beginning of the year, there was all this like new phones were coming out. That I think that's when the Droid stuff started first coming out. And you had higher resolution screens, and you had um, you know noise cancellation on some things like the the Google Nexus One. And you had it was kind of the first time that Android was kind of eclipsing Apple in terms of hardware features. And it kind of looked like that was just going to go on forever. And then they came with iPhone Four, and it's just like boom, Apple just jumped to the top of the pile. In a way, it's kind of hard to argue. And now what you have are, you know, some Android phones come in really big screens. Some people like that. Um, there's a, a couple other things that you can get. You can get phones with a nicer camera. You can get, you know, one or two features here and there. But there's nothing that has just, like, much better across the board. Or just if you want to have a very big pocket, you can get an Android phone with a larger screen. But it may be a limit we have to reach here. Otherwise, suddenly it's just a tiny tablet as opposed to an oversized smartphone. Where is the line of demarcation? Yeah. I mean, that, that, there's some things that are a preference. And there's some things that are, you know, kind of generally agreed upon. This is better. And, you know, phones may get bigger. I kind of like the phone being the size that it is. The, the mock-ups I've seen of the phone being like a, having a little bit bigger screen and the same size, that, that kind of, I think that's kind of appealing. Um, but, but yeah, there's always going to be that's, – that's what's great about having an open market is people try new things. And sometimes people try things and everyone's like, wow, I like that. And so everybody else starts doing that. And that's how you get progress. If everybody just does the same thing that they've always been doing, then there's no opportunity to discover new features and shift how things are. And Apple has always been kind of one of those companies that, that's introduced new things. You know, like when they came out with the, the power books and it was like, how we put the keyboard against the screen and have the pad in front so you could rest your arms on it. And people were like, wow, that's kind of dumb. And then it was like, no, 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 that's actually brilliant. And so everybody does that. You can't find a laptop that isn't designed like that anymore. Um, the same thing with, you know, like the design of the iMac or, you know, all these different things that that's introduced and it's like it's kind of controversial and new and then people are like oh yeah I like that and same thing with the, the iPad or the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad you know they introduced something people were like oh I don't know that even makes sense it's just a big iPod touch and well, <laughs> clearly clearly it did make sense it and did we have one it. more session coming with Daniel Aaron Dilger of Roughly Drafted Magazine I'm Gene Steinberg you're in the Tech Night Out Live Remoter VNC. Use it to control your computer right from your iPhone, iPod Touch, or iPad. There are no monthly fees. It's priced at just 99 cents. You get Mac screen sharing. You also get Windows and Linux via any standard VNC server. And again, it's only 99 cents. You can check it out at rafsoftware.com, R-A-F-software.com, or the App Store. Search for Remoter. 
Devin Fink is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devin Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off all there at devintechnologies.com. That's devintechnologies.com. Spring and summer bring out the best of nature, but blooming flowers, grass, and weeds emit pollen everywhere. Spring cleaning, molds, funguses, and pollens can cause severe allergic reactions. It's time to fight back. Get a blast of nature's most powerful natural remedy with Oreganol P73, the most powerful oil of oregano available anywhere. Oreganol P73 is an extract of hand-picked wild oregano grown in mineral-rich soils found only in the mountains of the Mediterranean. Experience this powerful and effective spice you can't find anywhere else. It is so effective. Even the ancient Greeks used oregano for their health. And it's not just a mere spice. Oregano P73 is also available as gel caps and as a sea salt-based nasal spray. Use Oregano P73 and stay healthy all summer long. Order today by calling 877-817-9829. 877-817-9829. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30%, while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us, and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. If you suffer from poor sleep, you need MyPillow. Guaranteed to be the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. Using a patented fill, MyPillow adjusts to your exact individual needs by gently supporting your head, shoulders, and neck. MyPillow has a natural built-in cooling effect, keeping your cervical nerves cool, giving you the best sleep of your life. MyPillow will never go flat and relieve snoring, migraines, sleep apnea, fibromyalgia, and many other disorders. It's antimicrobial, non-allergenic, dust mite resistant, and best of all, machine washable and dryable. MyPillow is made in the USA, has an A rating with the Better Business Bureau, comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and an industry-leading 10-year warranty. Order today at MyPillow.com or call 952-442-6199. That's 952-442-6199. Mention coupon code GCN and receive 20% off your order. What do you have to lose except poor sleep? MyPillow.com, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own, guaranteed. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, just send it to news at technightall.com. That's news at technightall.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from 
technightall.com slash radio. That's technightall.com slash radio. Or check us out at iTunes. Daniel Arendelle Griff, Roughly Drafted Magazine, AppleInsider.com. And over at Apple Insider, he does a lot of those feature articles, product reviews, all sorts of stuff. And we've been covering the iOS, Android, smartphones, earlier on the lawsuits, the patent lawsuits in which Apple is involved. And now, in this final eight or nine minutes or so, let's explore Mac OS X Lion. This is where we get back to the gestures again. You know, Apple's adding more and more features, crafting more and more features that descend from the iOS. So what's your perception here? Well, there's a lot of mixing back and forth. Uh, A lot of features that, you know, kind of sophisticated desktop things that originated on the Mac are going to the iPhone. And a lot of things that make a device easy to use and intuitive are coming to Mac OS X. There's a couple things that seem to be kind of like minor features, like full-screen apps that change how a lot of things are. I mean, it, it suddenly makes... When you start using full-screen apps, it, it makes spaces make sense. And you can just, like, fly between things. You can have a terminal window open full-screen. You can have your browser open full-screen, your email open full-screen, and you're just popping between these things. And you're like, wow, I'm, I'm not using Windows anymore. <laughs> and it's, it's a kind of a sea change in functionality that was sort of developed on the iPad of that kind of idea of... You're in one thing, and then you go to something else, and you're in that. It makes it more immersive. Yeah. Well, isn't the focus of a computer to do work, not to play with the operating system, not to fiddle with the operating system? Yeah, and it's kind of a thing of going back and forth, because originally, you know, that's what DOS was. It's like everything was a screen, and you'd have a screen of this, and then you could, like, switch over and have a screen of that. And the Mac was showing you can have multiple documents at once, and you can drag between them, and, you know, that, that's much better. And now they're kind of going the other way, where... You can have multiple windows that are overlapping, or you can kind of partition things. Because we're now working with so many things at once, it's kind of confusing to have so many windows, and you're trying to dig through them and bring this application to the front and whatever. Well, now you can just, like, boom, take over a whole... This is, you know, my world for mail. When I'm in that, I'm just doing mail stuff. Um, so it's it's just a shift that goes back and forth, but it's kind of a meandering way to make progress. There are some people who speculate that Apple is going to slowly fade more and more elements of Mac OS X out and make the iOS basically Mac OS X too. It's going to be all iOS with minor sacrifices or improvements because you're dealing with a full-fledged computer, not a tiny smartphone or something. Well, people keep trying to guess along those lines, but I mean that's not what Apple's doing. Apple has one operating system, really. It's Mac OS X. I mean, it, it's... That's the operating system that Apple has, and they branded their mobile version iOS, but it's really the same thing. It's similar, very similar development frameworks. has the same core OS. One is suited for a mobile device. One is suited for a full machine with you know multiple dual processors with a keyboard and control with a pointing device. The other is very touch-oriented. Um, there's a lot of room for convergence in a way that you know brings the animated direct way of working with things kind of one at a time to the Mac and bringing kind of high-end imaging technologies and things to to the iPhone. I I think Apple demonstrated, I'm trying not to do any NDA stuff. I think they talked about this, but there's features in the camera that are directly from iPhoto where you push a button and it fixes, it just makes everything better. 
Sure, because that it, also it means now, picture. for example, in the, in the past, of course, I would take photos on my iPhone. And they don't look as great as they could, so, of course, I bring them into iPhoto when I dock it with my Mac in yep. iTunes, and iPhoto opens up. I import them, and then I make the changes. Now, obviously, you'll get more granular changes in iPhoto, but if I can make some of the key changes on my iPhone, well, then I could send those images out without further configuration to people. Right. have a finished product. And there's also an increasing number of people who don't have a computer at home. In a lot of countries, they're like in, you know, it's, it's always been the case in Japan, the younger generation of people, they don't have a PC. Everybody uses this fancy smartphone. And how they work with it is different. And Apple has started kind of embracing that with iOS 5, that you can set up devices without having to plug it into a computer which everyone's like, oh, of course, why weren't they doing that before? Well, there were a lot of advantages to doing it the iOS or the iTunes way of plugging in and doing all your configuration and setting up all your sync. Remember, there's, a lot, there's always been devices that you didn't need to do that for. And most devices are like that from other companies where you, you just buy it and you turn it on, you set it up. But the setup is kind of difficult because you have to navigate through this little screen. And um, <clears throat> it was like music players. One of the main reasons why the iPod was so much more desirable is because it's hard to go through a music player and, you know, set up all these things, go through all these menus and do complex settings where with the iPad, you did it all on iTunes. And so you had this kind of big display of organizing your music and then you just put it on the thing and you just listen to it and use that device for playback, not for configuration or whatever. And the same thing with the iPhone for apps and managing all your apps and stuff. Doing that on iTunes made a lot of sense and having automatic backups made a lot of sense. Well, people were saying, why don't you just do all this wirelessly and whatever? Well, there's a lot of problems related with that. It takes a lot of work to get that done right. So Apple made it right kind of like the the long-hanging fruit way with iTunes, and now they're moving it towards being able to do it without iTunes, if you don't want to. By demoting the PC, though, I'm sure Steve Ballmer didn't want to hear that. Well, that's already happening. So Apple's kind of embracing... A reality, sure, but he didn't want to face it. Microsoft has been having a lot of difficulty facing the fact that their key market is almost yesterday's news in some respects. Yeah, and if you look at their plan for the future, I mean, their plan for the future is layering this layer of basically web browser on top that in mobile devices, that's all it will be. And I don't know, I look at that and I think, okay, so if you're HP or if you're you know Google or somebody that doesn't have a desktop platform, and is trying to get into the business so that you're not paying Microsoft, then it makes sense to come up with this web layer that is accessible to all the web developers out there, and they can make apps for your thing. And it's very much like a this is the best effort you can do if you're a small company with no history. If you're Microsoft and that's your strategy, that's kind of puzzling. It, it blows me away. I don't understand why Microsoft is doing that. And if they really think that that's the best they can do, that says something about Windows and the value of everything Microsoft has, that they're ready to just throw it away and go for the web. It'd be like if Apple said, okay, so our next generation iOS is going to be Java. You know, people would just be like, whoa, really? So all your Cocoa stuff is just no, not worth anything anymore? Really? <laughs> you know, it would just be like, wow, that's what you think the future is? And if, if that's really the future, then, you know. I'll tell you what, right. we're running out of our future here. We have to go back to the future and ask Daniel Aaron Dilger, where do we find more of the things that you write about? I write for Apple Insider, appleinsider.com. And then I 
I should be writing more. <laughs> I keep getting mail from people saying, why aren't you writing? I'm waiting for your next article. Uh, RefleyDrafted.com. So I'll be trying to write some more on as I'm doing some traveling. He's going to be on the road, and we hope you have a safe trip. And again, you find him at RefleyDrafted.com and also AppleInsider.com, where he's just very prolific, has loads and loads of stuff going on. Daniel Aaron Dilger, thank you so much for joining us this week on the Tech Night Out Live. Great. Thanks for having me, Gene. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Will I have garlic breath after I take Ali C? We get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma, MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent. Boost resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or garlichealthproducts.com. Fight back with Ali C. Never buy home canning jar lids again. No kidding. When you buy Tadler reusable canning lids once, you'll never buy canning lids ever again. Safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways containing BPA. But Tadler reusable canning lids are guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning. Tadler lids are made with a USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, safe for direct food contact, and contain no BPA. Tadler lids are dishwasher safe, usable with standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars are indefinitely reusable and are proudly made in the usa place orders at reusablecanninglids.com or call 1-877-747-2793 877-747-2793 call 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com that's reusablecanninglids.com for tadler reusable canning lids the original since 1976 You've heard a lot lately about zeolite, but what is it and why do you need it? Zeolite is a beautiful, complex, crystalline structure that encapsulates radiation and odors. 
Zeo King Zeolite naturally eliminates radiation poisoning your body may pick up from x-rays, security scanners, or nuclear fallout. Zeo King flushes environmental toxins absorbed from smoke, cell phones, and chemicals. So it detoxifies heavy metals including mercury, lead, and cadmium. Zeo King Zeolite helps boost your immune system, allowing your body to balance itself and cut off food supply to cancer and parasites. Order your Zeo King Zeolite now from zeoking.com for only $39.99 and receive a free month supply with every order. Call 888-402-6779. That's 888-402-6779. Or visit zeoking.com. That's Z E O King.com for natural elimination of radiation poisoning. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. We have Abram Pilch from Laptop Magazine, where he's the online editorial director. And he does a column there called The Geek's Geek, because he's the ultimate geek on the planet. Is that correct, Abram? Indeed. Well, I'm certainly the most opinionated, or among them. You're in the right place here. Okay, so you have an article. I'm going to read the title. It's one of his columns over at Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. Apple's tyrannical turtleneck, I love that phrasing, won't fit Microsoft in mobile. Tell us why, Avram. Well, I think Microsoft is trying to be like Apple, and they're failing because Microsoft should try to be Microsoft, and, and, that, and that's exactly the problem. They've taken the wrong lesson from Apple's success in the mobile space. They see that Apple's taken a completely lockdown approach with its uh, with iOS and the iPhone and the iPad. Apple controls the App Store. Apple controls the hardware. Apple, you know, Apple basically the only people who who really Apple has to work with as partners are the carriers, and and of course app developers. But Apple always has the upper hand in those relationships. So Microsoft looks at this and they said, Hey, we'd like the upper hand too. So we're going to be like Apple. We're going to go around and we're going to, for Windows Phone 7, we're going to decide who, and who, can, who can build Windows Phone 7 phones and what they can put in them. We're going to lay out exactly what hardware they can put in down to the screen size and the CPU. We're going to decide. We're going to, we're going to run the App Store. And now the rumor is they're going to do the same thing with, with the upcoming Windows 8 tablets. They're going to make the, the processor manufacturers decide that they can only work, each one of them, AMD, Intel, ARM, etc., that they can only work with one vendor each uh, or have one design each. That's sort of the rumor going around is that Intel will say, okay, we can only work with Dell, so we can only make one Intel-based Windows 8 tablet. Okay, AMD, you can work with Hewlett-Packard. Uh, Acer, sorry, folks, you might be out of the running if, if Intel or, or AMD or one of the other processor manufacturers that might make a processor that works with Windows 8, because Windows 8 will now work with things like like ARM, you may be out of the running. So Microsoft's been extremely locked down in trying to really dictate the marketplace, and vendors aren't happy about it. And frankly, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot. Well, the other issue here, of course, is that Microsoft provides services and software. They're not a hardware builder. You understand Apple being a hardware builder. If they want to build everything themselves, that's fine. 
That's the way they design their product. Right. They want to use their own home-brewed operating system as opposed to other companies who go outside. But Microsoft doesn't make hardware. So it's not the same. It can't be the same. Right. They've kind of, Microsoft has made it success. Microsoft shouldn't be looking at Apple as their model. They should be looking at Microsoft as their model. They should be looking at how Microsoft succeeded in the 90s with Windows. Microsoft succeeded with Windows because they, they built a platform of software, and then they went out and they got all these other companies to innovate on top of it and to build their to build their hardware on top of it. They had an infinite universe of people innovating on top of Windows. Yeah, but you know what? I wanted to just mention this because I know the last time you were here, you used the word innovate. And I kind of feel apt to dispute that because I think only very few companies on the PC side do anything that I call innovation. Certainly the Alienware division of Dell makes fascinating-looking computers and fascinating products. But most of the stuff is just me too. It's not innovation. It's... Just commodity stuff. Well, you know, it's true that there's a lot of stuff that's very similar when you look through, if you look through hundreds of Windows notebooks, as we do every year, or you look through dozens of Android phones to take something that's more analogous in the mobile space, you do see a lot of, a lot of hardware that's very much like what you've seen before and, and, and frankly quite boring. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we look at a notebook and we're like, wow. This is so much like the other notebooks. There's nothing, you know, nothing particularly special about this product. Yet, through that uh, market of stuff, which you know, a lot of users just want more of the same, and they're looking at price, and they're looking at subtle differences. But through that market, you see people innovating, and they have the freedom to do so. What is a really big problem in the case of Windows Phone 7 is there's no incentive on earth for HTC or Samsung or LG or even Dell, who's coming out with Windows Phone 7 phones, there's no incentive for them to innovate. They can't innovate. They're almost not allowed to. They have to call up somebody at Microsoft and beg permission to, to, to put an LTE radio in those things, to put 4G in them. That hasn't been approved yet. Meanwhile, on the Android side, where innovation is encouraged, or, or at least there's the freedom to do so, you've got people coming out with all kinds of 4G phones. You've got people like Kyocera experimenting with dual screen. Under Windows, that kind of thinking was possible. doesn't mean that people always do it, but you do see people trying different things with Windows. With Windows Phone 7, there's no opportunity. It's completely locked down, which means that Microsoft is the only one who's responsible for the platform. And they, I think, seem to be th are taking sort of the Steve Jobs approach. Well, we're responsible for the platform. Just trust us. We're in charge. You know, these vendors are just here to kind of do our bidding. You know, the manufacturers are just here to kind of do our bidding. And the manufacturers don't like it because they don't have any opportunity to stand out. And I think ultimately users don't like it. Windows Phone 7 has not been a success so far. It is years behind the competition in a lot of ways. And the only people driving the platform forward are the people at Microsoft. They don't have their partners there to help them. Well, okay, so we have a situation here, though. With Windows Phone 7, Microsoft is pouring money or going to be pouring money into Nokia. They're going to get cash to build out products. So, in a sense, Microsoft leading the other companies in the dust? Well, you know, in that respect, they have said that they are not giving Nokia particularly special treatment in terms of what Nokia is going to be allowed to do 
um, that the other companies like HCC and Samsung are a lot, you know, compared to what they're allowed to do. But we don't really know what is going to happen. Um, certainly, their relationship with Nokia is one where I think they saw in Nokia the opportunity to get a lot, a huge distribution partner. Nokia has obviously big presence in Europe. They have good relationships with phone vendors and carriers. They're good at manufacturing decent hardware. So, you know, I think they see in Nokia someone who's who's kind of committed to them exclusively. The other vendors aren't going to commit to them exclusively. If you were HTC, would you agree to only make Windows Phone 7 phones and to stop using it and to stop making Android phones? Well, of course not. Android phones are your successful product? I wouldn't be that crazy. No, I wouldn't be that crazy. And that's where Microsoft can shoot themselves in the foot because they don't have the luxury of building their own hardware. Or are they going to do that? Didn't they try that with the Zoom? It didn't work all that well. See, yeah, that's not a core strength of theirs. And ultimately, that's also a rumor that came out in the last week or so, was is Microsoft going to make their own Windows 8 tablet? What a bad idea. Because how would you feel if you were Motorola and Microsoft is coming to you and saying, hey, Motorola, we want you to make Windows 8 tablets, and we're going to build one right here to compete with you. I mean, either you're trying to work with partners or you're trying to compete with them. It's very hard to do both. And in the case of Zune and Xbox, Microsoft didn't really have other partners that it was trying to push to. They never tried to get anybody else to adopt the Zune platform, and they never tried to get anybody else to build Xbox 360 compatible consoles. But if they did, and then they built their own, they're sort of throwing their own partners under the bus. Isn't that part of what Microsoft has done, and it's really screwing them up quite a bit, that, you know, if you're going to have a group of partners, you know, you want to treat them in a way that they're encouraged to do that. They're allowed, as you say, to innovate, but at least to prosper. The core factor here is that their partners can make a boatload of money from selling products that are using Microsoft licensed software and services. If they reach the point where they can't make those profits, they can't stand out from the crowd, they're going to say, who needs this? Android is free. I'll do that. Maybe Windows Phone 7 is better than Android, but I'll go with Android because I don't have that restriction. I can make the money. I can innovate in making money if nothing else applies. We have Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Ray Perkins a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
Ready to save? Then you're ready for the Super Summer Sale at Herbal Healer Academy. Herbal Healer has been the leader in quality natural supplements for 23 years. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on 500 parts per million colloidal silver. The best pharmaceutical grade available at all sizes on sale. Super Male Plex with Uhimbi and Super Femplex for summer toning. Buy Glucosamine Chondroitin 60 caps, summer sale priced at only $12. Colon Enhancer 250 caps, summer sale priced at just $18. And if your brain's a little foggy, we have a great supplement on sale called Memory Power. Log on and hit the postcard specials link for more super summer savings at HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free catalog with first order. Herbal Healer Academy, healing the world with nature one person at a time. Big Berkey water filters are in high demand. Storable foods are also in high demand. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has always kept our focus on the Berkey water filter products. But increasingly, our customers have been asking for storable foods. After months of research, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com now offers great-tasting, long-lasting, storable foods. These ready-to-eat meals are packed in airtight nitrogen pouches. All you do is just add water. And because they're sealed so well, they come with a 25-year shelf life. Combine our Berkey water filters, which are powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water with our storable foods, and you have a winning combination. Remember, we offer free shipping on every order over $50, and GCN listeners receive 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY today. GCN listeners, why have you been hearing so much about Dermatol, the all-natural, all-purpose first aid spray? Because it's the must-have first aid product you need in your preparedness kit. Dermatol is made in America by Americans who know there's a more affordable, natural way to treat cuts, burns, bites, rashes, shingles, boils, and many other skin problems. Dermatol is gentle enough for diaper rash, powerful enough for bed sores, and harmless to the eyes and mouth. It's great for the whole family, even your family pets. Dermatol is antimicrobial, antifungal, antiviral viral and not diminished by freezing extreme heat or years in storage dermatol is an absolute must for any first aid or preparedness kit dermatol's soothing rapid restoration of injured skin is so effective it's guaranteed order yours today call 800-217-6677 800-217-6677 that's 800-217-6677 efficient economical effective spray it all with dermatol the GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. You never know what's going to happen next while listening to the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. We're back with Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at laptopmag.com. Come and he's the online editorial director there. Now, we're talking here, of course, about Microsoft, I guess, shooting themselves in the foot with all these things. Now, I wonder, with regard to this Windows 8 demonstration, it came a week before Apple's WWDC. Do you think it was cobbled together to kind of get a leg up on Apple? Quite possibly. I mean, I think they don't want to look flat-footed. They don't want to look like they're not doing something. 
Uh, it also, though, corresponds with their development schedule for Windows uh, Windows 7, because they also showed Windows 7 around this time, I think it was in 2008. Uh, they actually were were showing it also at the D um, at the All Things D convention, so I'm not. It's not surprising to Microsoft observers that they would do it at this point. It's the right uh, time, but the timing is so critical here. Did it have to be the week before to get attention, or were they thinking, well, you know, suddenly they'll put more of the onus on Apple to show that they have something better? You know, I think. You know, they probably said we have to get this out before Apple dominates the news cycle and we look reactionary. But at the same time, it does kind of fill their their profile. I mean, ultimately, I don't think I would really hope that people who are investing in products or IT decision makers or whoever it is that they're trying to capture the attention of, certainly as a journalist, if they were trying to capture my attention, they captured my attention. But frankly, if they had shown it two weeks after Apple. I wouldn't have thought anything different. I wouldn't have seen it as reactionary because obviously whatever it is that they're doing, they've been working on it behind the scenes for months or years. So, you know, if Apple shows a feature in Lion and then they come out and they show something in Windows 8 that looks similar, do I really think that they threw that in there a week after Apple showed it just because Apple did it? I mean, you know, these things have long development cycles. Okay, now, the point being here, of course, is that with Microsoft, you get the impression that because Apple is grafting features from the iOS back onto Mac OS X Lion, this has been known for a number of months, maybe Microsoft said, gee, we've got to do that too. We've got to make Windows 8 somewhat more resembling of the mobile platform. It's the same thing. It's the imitative impression. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think they certainly looked at, I mean, obviously they're looking at Apple's success, and obviously they see that, that Apple's desktop operating system is becoming more and more like its mobile operating system, and so uh, they see the same opportunity. But what, what I think actually Microsoft is doing right, I, I actually wish they would take this further, is that they are not trying to come out with, or they, they've, the way they've talked about it, they only want to have one operating system for tablets and for PCs, you know, and that's going to be Windows 8. Now, unfortunately, they still have a different one for phones. Uh, but the beauty of having one operating system is if you're a programmer, if you're a developer, you program something, it's going to work across all of these devices. Now, maybe you have to think about how it's going to look on these different devices, but if the code works, you're really halfway there. Yeah, and, but is that a good idea? You know, with Apple, it's, it's all Mac OS X, basically, but they made very specific, important differences between tablet and smartphone and the desktop operating system. I think it's important because it gives people, it gives the user the choice. And if the user wants to make a choice that we don't necessarily think is an optimal choice, let them make it. Now, the problem that we have going right now in terms of Windows tablets is right now there's a whole generation of Windows 7 tablets, and they stink. And the reason that Windows 7 tablets stink is because the operating system itself and the software has not been optimized for, for touch. And, or, and frankly you know, speaking, you never hear about them. You hear about the RIM BlackBerry playbook as much as that might be trouble-ridden. You hear about the latest stuff from Samsung, the Galaxy tablets and such. But you don't hear about tablets with Windows Phone 7. 
Uh, well, oh, well, you mean with Windows 7, there's no Windows Phone 7 tablet. But, yeah, with Windows 7, you never, you know, they don't make a big splash. We get them in. But I'll tell you, you take something like the HP TouchSmart, um, you know, notebook, which you can flip, which can convert over, or uh, the Gigabyte T1125N, which is not uh, very well distributed here in America. And unfortunately, they don't have the best user experience. I mean, obviously, there are people buying them, but I don't know why. Because you've got, you know, they work okay as a notebook, and then you go and you take the screen and you flip it over and you try to use them as a tablet, and they're missing some of the basic functionality that you'd want in a tablet, things like an accelerometer. The screen doesn't necessarily flip over when you flip over the device. You know, it, it, things like that are a real problem. Now, is the problem because they're, because they're using a desktop operating system? Yes. But I don't think it's because of the code base of the operating system. I think it's because of the user interface. So if what Microsoft is proposing to do in Windows 8 is, okay, we're going to give the user and the manufacturer, I think, what they're going to do is give them the choice. Okay, so a start menu that you, that you go through a whole bunch of little tiny folders is terrible on a tablet. But we can fix it so that the user can choose. Okay. We'll give you a big touch-friendly interface, but if you take the same thing and install it on a PC, you can have the start menu like you would want to have with a mouse. So I think as long as they get the interface right and they give people the flexibility to choose the right interface for the device, having one operating system is, is really a great convenience. Maybe from a programming standpoint, but you have to look also that a tablet or a smartphone, they're very limited in terms of resources. You know, they're not full-fledged computers, even though possibly the amount of power they present themselves as might be like a Mac or PC of five or ten years ago, but compared to today's, of course not. You have these severe resource limitations, and if you want the tablet to be thin and tiny, like an iPad or any of the Android competitors, you're going to have to have the processors and the limits in terms of the built-in memory. You can't use the same operating system, which requires a lot more. It has to be slimmed down. Well, I think if they're building their operating system correctly, it's going to work on lower-powered devices. And you see also that Intel and other companies just keep upping the ante in terms of how much performance you can squeeze out of a tablet or a phone. I mean, Later this year, NVIDIA is going to come out with their new chip that is codenamed Kal-El that is a quad-core mobile chip. Okay, this is the and Superman chip then. Kal-El, yes. by the way, is the Kryptonian name for Superman. For that's those their whole name. By, by the way, that's their whole naming strategy at NVIDIA, if you didn't know that. Like their whole, I, I found this out from them. Their codenames for their mobile chips are all the... A human name or the the secret identity of of real superheroes. So they have one coming up after that called Logan, named after the you know the alter ego Wolverine. Wolverine. Yes, I think the previous generation was called Wayne after Bruce Wayne. So that's apparently their naming structure. I still can't so therefore we're going to have one called Jordan after Hal Jordan, who of course is the Green Lantern. Assuming that movie doesn't bomb. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Now, I guess I guess they can do that as long as these are internal code names. I I assume they don't have to give any royalties to the comic book company. No. If they were actually to reveal those names, they'd have to start paying a lot of money to uh, DC Comics or Marvel Comics, depending on which one they use. Yeah. No. Of course, no they can have the Eric named after, of course, 
Magneto in X-Men. You know, it's magnetically powerful. <laughs> well, you know, only if it has a hard drive that uses magnetic media, I would say. Actually, what it does is it drags you. It's a human magnet. It drags you closer to the computer to buy it, they hope. <laughs> this sounds like what some of your paranormal tech. You know, I was mentioning just before we got on the air, we were interviewing somebody for a future show on the Paracast, Stephen Maylert, about the Crystal Skull. So we get to talking privately, find out that he and I were born in the same hospital two days apart. Wow. Is everyone born at that hospital interested in, interested in paranormal and technology? I don't know. We'll have to do some research, you know. But I'm not going to do it because I don't take it seriously. It's just one of them things, as they say. Yep. Okay. We've been exploring, by the way, just to give people a backtrack, some of the stuff that Avram Pilch has been writing about in his column called The Geek's Geek. And that's where he tells you what he thinks. He lets it all hang out. And that's over at Laptop Magazine, which they call the Pulse of Mobile Tech. And it's not just laptops. You know, it's mobile devices, computers, tablets, smartphones, all that goodies. So we're going to get into a lot more of that. You can write us, by the way, news at technightowl.com, news at technightowl.com. We welcome your suggestions about shows you'd like to hear about potential guests, the guests you like, the guests you don't like. Of course, some of you said you didn't like Peter Cohen. One person said they didn't like Peter Cohen, who works with Loop at loopinside.com. Of course, we had him on the week later, despite you anyway. Here we go. Avram Pilch joining us this week. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Tech Night All Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're back with Avram Pilch, online editorial director of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. We're in the Tech Night Out Live, talking a lot about Microsoft and about, you know, the good, bad, and ugly, about their visions for the future. What about the people who say that Steve Ballmer has outlived his usefulness dump him, get somebody else, and completely revamp that company? You know, it's hard, to, it's hard to say. Obviously, investors are always going to call for the head of the CEO or, or the president when they see a company faltering. It's important to remember that Microsoft is still making a lot of money off of some of its core products. It's not exactly a failing business, and, and Steve Ballmer deserves credit for that. 
Where Microsoft, I think, needs to do better is, first of all, obviously, I think they need to get back to their core strength of working with partners, uh, because that is really what Microsoft does really well. And I don't know if Bomber is the person responsible for kind of saying, hey, we've got to be more like Apple, but that has to change. And the other thing that Microsoft really needs to do better based on kind of my experience in dealing with folks from Microsoft is they need to communicate better internally in their company. They seem to have some communication problems. Uh, You know, the people who work on Office don't really talk very, it seems like they don't talk really heavily to the people who work on Windows. The people who are working on the failed Kin phone seem to have no idea that Windows Phone 7 was coming. It's like a whole bunch of different little businesses that are on the same campus or under the same umbrella but don't but don't collaborate with each other and that just seems like a you know really big weakness that they have that they can't get their people to to talk to each other enough to kind of coordinate the launches of products i mean i was really surprised when windows when office 2010 came out and i took some briefings on it and i asked them about you know about things like touch and are they building in some of the new features of windows 7 into office 2010 and they said Oh, those are different people. We didn't, you know, we didn't really talk to them much. They're on a different schedule. How can the people who make their core office suite not be talking to the people who make their core operating system? It just seems really strange. Is that a possibility that they're too large for their own good? Maybe just too bloated? I don't know. I think I think that's where leadership obviously comes into play. Now, I'm not going to blame Bomber because I don't work at Microsoft and I don't know what what goes on there, but obviously they need to do a better job of of really having somebody be in charge and say, hey, you you guys have to work together. Um, and and that's not you know, that's not happening there obviously. And and the Ken is such an example of that. I mean, how could they have uh, one division working on one phone technology and another division working on another phone technology that is completely different? within the same company and not talking to each other. I mean, that's that's a disaster. That That's just a huge disaster. What about Google as a contrast with all their divisions and all the things that they're doing? Beta, everything's in beta, all the things they're working on. Do they talk to each other? It sounds like they do. I mean, obviously, I'm not there on the campus, but it sounds like... It sounds like they do like they do a better job of coming up with an overall strategy of how their products work together, with one exception, uh, and, and and that they're still trying to, to figure out, which is Android versus Chrome OS. And that, by the way, was another big event in the last few days. Obviously, is the the release of the first Chromebook, the Samsung uh, Chromebook Series Five, which which we reviewed. Uh, but that that's a big question of sort of like, okay, so we're succeeding here on with Android on phones and tablets, but what about on the desktop? Well, for the desktop, we have Chrome. But the two of them seem to actually have kind of different missions. Did you know, by the way, this is according to published reports, that Apple in their new Mac OS X Lion has an option, maybe it's a secret handshake, I don't know until we try the official version, to reboot your Mac in the browser only, Safari. So it's like the Chrome OS, which is basically just the browser. I really hate to say this because I, I, I love Google as a company. I really do. They make a lot. They do a lot of great stuff. Almost everything they do is wonderful. 
But the Chrome OS, it's just not very impressive, and it's not a very, in my view, original idea. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've had a chance on the PCs to use the Splashtop operating system, but a lot of computers now come with um, an instant-on button, which boots you up into some version of Splashtop, and you can actually download, I believe, and install something called Splashtop Cloud. What is that? It is just an operating system that is only a browser. The idea of innovation by just taking every, all the other functions away is a little strange. It's like, oh, good, good news. We've got a new system for you. We're going to take your desktop and all your files and all that away and leave you with the same browser you, you had already. And that's what Google Chrome is. And we found the first Chrome, commercial Chromebook, the Samsung uh, Chromebook Series 5, to be an absolute disaster. So basically you can just take that. a Samsung notebook of any kind and run Chrome on it and just ignore everything else, and you have pretty much what that product is. Yeah, but you might have something better. because Then you, um, do, then you we, can run real apps on it. <laughs> yeah, first of all, you have the flexibility to run real apps. You have the flexibility to, to attach any peripherals you wanted, but you might actually have better performance. Uh, we're putting up on our website um, this week an article that shows sort of the differences between the Chromebook, which costs, uh, 499 with 3G and 429 with Wi-Fi, and a similarly priced ASUS 12-inch ASUS netbook. The similarly priced ASUS 12-inch netbook running Windows 7 outperformed in Chrome browser the Chrome the Chromebook. Whoa, it got, that's a problem. Got, I mean, we're talking about the full flavored operating system against just the browser. Correct. So when we tried to run um, the WebGL fish tank test, which is a neat little test if, if any of your listeners out there have Chrome or actually even, I think this will work in Firefox. They even care. <laughs> it, it's a neat little test of how fast your computer is and how fast your browser is. Is There's this test that uh, Google has on their site that's a fish tank. You can configure the number of fish and the angle of all that, and you can see how many frames per second you're getting. So you can see how good the graphics performance is in the browser. And browser-based graphics are going to be a big thing because a lot of games, a lot of cloud-based apps, they're going to rely on your browser to deliver rich 3D graphics. Well, on the Chromebook, we were only able to get like two or three frames per second with like one fish. It was unbelievably bad. On Under Windows, running Chrome, running the current version of Chrome on a, the same price netbook, on an ASUS 1215B netbook, we were able to get, you know, 25, 30 frames per second. Is it all about like the graphics drivers fish. then? Maybe. Uh -huh. uh, it, it, it may be, but what's the argument to why you should get something that performs worse in Chrome? And also on the JavaScript, common JavaScript benchmarks. Uh, the 1215B. Explain to our listeners, by the way, because we don't want to get too far away with the geek stuff here as far as all these benchmarks. What does it mean to them in the real world where a browser has more frames per second, does better in JavaScript, etc.? It means your web pages will, load, will, will render faster. It means when you load a web page... Yes, that part of the, the part part of loading a web page is the download from the internet, and that is obviously dependent on the on your internet provider, on the server, on all of those things. But once it gets the code, your computer, your your phone has to render that page, and that takes processing power, and increasingly that also takes graphics power because we're getting more and more web pages that have 
all kinds of fancy graphical movements and graphical elements beyond just still pictures. That's where the power of the browser and the power of the hardware come into play. And what we found, obviously, is even on the Chrome, Google's own Chrome browser, we got better performance numbers, better results, faster web browsing under Windows than we did under Chrome OS. Well, Google has some splaining to do there, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's a serious problem. And then you also look at the Chromebook and you see, hey, I don't have the flexibility that I have to run other apps. Nothing works offline. I'm I'm in real trouble if I'm outside of outside of an area where I can get the internet. And you know, and I'm I'm still paying you know four hundred thirty or five hundred dollars. That's not exactly cheap. It just doesn't seem to have a good a good argument for why you should buy it right now. Well, does Google even have an argument for having it in the first place? We'll ask that question. We have Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com. Remoter VNC. Use it to control your computer right from your iPhone, iPod Touch, or iPad. There are no monthly fees. It's priced at just 99 cents. You get Mac screen sharing. You also get Windows and Linux via any standard VNC server. And again, it's only 99 cents. You can check it out at rafsoftware.com, rafsoftware.com, or the App Store. Search for Remoter. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting to prepare. And now, it's here now. The huge summer blowout sale at TrueWilderness.com. How much will you save? Up to 70% store-wide. Save this week on Alpine Air Number 10 cans, Wise Food Storage, Berkey Water Filters, Food Dehydrators, Pressure Cookers, Sawyer Water Filters, and much more at up to 70% off. But only at TrueWilderness.com. This is the preparedness sale you've been waiting for. TrueWilderness.com has every item you need for any emergency. Shelter in backpacks, knives and tools, lighting and radios, first aid, food storage, water filters, and much more. And now, during the huge summer blowout sale, save up to 70%. Call 877-573-7173 or go to TrueWilderness.com. Hurry, call 877-573-7173 or shop online at TrueWilderness.com. This summer sale is going on now through June 25th. True Wilderness, an urban survival company. Gold isn't for you? Ted Anderson, president of Midas Resources, one of the world's premier gold and precious metal investing firms. I get it. You wouldn't buy gold if you believed that the government is doing a great job, that the Fed will stop handing out trillions of dollars like bailout candy, that Social Security would be there for you. That's not what's happening. You might even pass on gold if the stimulus package wouldn't fuel inflation, or that the dollar wouldn't lose value, or that your retirement would be secure. If all looks rosy to you, then now is not the time to buy gold. 
For the realists, there have never been more sobering reasons to diversify with gold. Since 2001, the U.S. dollar index has tanked 30% while gold has risen 300%. Right now, savvy investors are adding gold to their portfolios. You should, too. Find out what they know. Call us and I'll send you 10 reasons why gold will do very well, free. 800-686-2237. 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver, that's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver, utopiasilver.com, or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. Utopiasilver.com, taking back America's health care one American at a time. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. We're back with Abram Pilch at Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. He's the online editorial director. We started with Microsoft and their problems trying to be too much like Apple, even though they basically sell software and services and not the hardware. And now we're talking about Google, where they're doing very well with the Android OS, but the Chrome OS, browser only, what's going on here? So... What is Google thinking? Google is thinking, how much would we really like to have you only use our services and our software? And how do we get people to do that? Well, we'll distribute an operating system that cuts out the middleman and is only our stuff. So that, so I see why Google wants you to use Chrome OS. It's a wonderful gateway into Google services. The whole operating system and computer is only based on Google stuff. They don't even have to put in the effort of building a desktop interface or, or any of those things. They just basically pop the, the same browser on, onto your notebook that they gave that they're giving people in Windows and Mac. So it's it's a low effort for them to to basically build something that is just a gateway to their services. But the argument to the user that they're making is, well, this is secure because you can't mess it up. Uh, and this is fast because it boots quickly. And it does boot quickly, but so does so do Macs and so do an increasing number of Windows systems. If they and have solid-state drives, they all boot quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of a lame argument that their thing boots quickly because, frankly, so does everything else, if it's done properly, if it has an SSD. So, you know, oh, it gets long battery life. Well, first of all, we can't battery benchmark it because there seems to be no way that we've figured out yet to actually put to actually stop the system from from going to sleep when you walk away. So we'd have to sit there for eight or nine hours hitting the space bar to keep to keep it going. But even the claimed battery life is about eight hours. Well, it's not hard at all to get a netbook that lasts eight, nine, ten, eleven hours 
on a charge these days. So, you know, there's nothing groundbreaking at all about the hardware, and there's nothing groundbreaking at all about the software. And it's not priced any cheaper than anything else. In fact, for some reason, we uh, put up a story this week about how uh, Samsung's uh, bill of materials cost, how much it costs them to manufacture the Chromebook, is higher than you would pay at retail to buy a competing product. It's crazy. They're paying $340 uh, to build the Chromebook. I could buy a netbook at Newegg or another uh, e-tailer for under $300 that competes with it and probably gets better performance. That's crazy. Okay, so we come back to the same thing all over again. Where is Google's argument? How does it work in the real world? Did they actually test this thing to say, hey, you know what? Maybe people would like a slim, reduced function notebook computer. Maybe businesses because they're doing one thing. Or maybe for a kiosk or something. But in the real world, how do they justify it? You know, I think they're going to have a very difficult time. I know some people who are Google fans uh, who just love the idea of it being so simple and easy to use, and and they just, you know, they, they, they eat up all of those arguments. But no one has really made a compelling argument as to why you should have that functionality instead of all your other functionality. Like, you have the freedom to use it on top of Windows or Mac right now. Go Go ahead. There's no compelling reason that I can see that you would want Chrome OS over Windows or Mac unless you're just afraid of the user and what they might do if they actually manage to minimize the browser and get to the desktop. And that's maybe a compelling argument for some IT, for some IT departments, but even they have software that they want on there. I think they're going to have a hard time making this case. Now, unless they can find some way to really innovate on the hardware, which they did not do in the case of the Samsung Chromebook. It's just an, a netbook with Intel Atom in it. Yeah, but does There's Google have special. any expertise in hardware anyway? They're just building software. They don't. What would have worked, what might have had some compelling argument, and who knows, it could still happen, is do you remember, do your listeners remember, maybe back about a year and a half ago, Qualcomm was pitching that the next big thing were going to be a, um, a generation of ultra-thin netbooks that they called smartbooks. And smartbooks were going to be thinner than today's netbooks. Most of their information was going to be in the cloud. They were going to last 12 hours on a charge, and they were going to, instead of using Intel processors, they were going to use Qualcomm Snapdragon processors. And we went to CES 2010, and we saw a bunch of companies showing off smartbooks. And what ended up happening is I don't think, I think maybe one smart book that was just running Android as its operating system came to market, and it was a total utter failure. But at least there were some interesting designs, and Lenovo showed off a really gorgeous design in something that they called the Skylight, where it was really, really thin and really attractive. Maybe if somebody would come out with a really attractive piece of hardware and say to people, look, you know, buy this because of the hardware, and you can do a lot of what you want in Chrome, that might be that might be a product that's sold. I'm not saying it would be what Google wants, which is to ultimately replace desktop operating systems. They would like this to be their answer to Windows. They would like in the future for for a generation of employee of businesses to walk into their office and everybody's shown on their computer and everybody's running Chrome OS. That seems right now like 
you know, maybe in the future that, that kind of thing could happen. That seems like a really, really a far-flung dream to me. And isn't also the problem here is how many chances do you get to fail before people say, okay, this is ridiculous, let's move on to the next thing? Uh, you know, in their case, success might mean just getting some people to use it. I mean, I think they should lower their expectations because they seem to, from what I've heard, they seem to be saying this is the future and everyone's going to use this and, and nobody needs to have desktop applications anymore. And for one thing, that kind of is a, a stick in the eye of Android because Android, you know, Android gets a lot, of, uh, a lot of traction from having apps that you can download and use even if you're outside of your 3 or 4G service. And so are they saying that, and, that what Android is doing isn't optimal, isn't good? But I think if they went out and they said, if Google went out and they said, okay, you know, this isn't for everyone, but it's good for students, or this isn't for everyone, but it's good for certain people in vertical markets. If they kind of reframed the discussion a little bit, I think they would, I think they would do better. Uh, but right now, they're kind of presenting this as the future is now, and this is what we're giving everyone. And frankly, to a lot of people who love computers and love technology, this is uh, the Chrome operating system is kind of is kind of sad. It's like. Get me to my get me to my command prompt. Get me to my icons. I'm, I, there's no fun. Where's the pleasure? Where's the joy of using this computer? It's just a browser. Ah, oh, <laughs> slip my wrist if I have to use this thing. Well, you don't sound like you want to do anything with it. But I also have to think here that if I'm a company, big company, building a product like this. I would have some usability studies before I even release it to market. I mean, even with movies, they'll have previews, test marketing to regular people to say, hey, do you like this product? Would you buy one? And they look at it and they say, it's treacherous. It's terrible. I'm not going to buy this. So you bring it out anyway? Does that make sense? Do you, you live know, blind result- without this kind of testing? I'm going to ask that question in a moment. Of Avram Pilch, a laptop mag at laptop magazine at laptopmag.com i'm gene steinberg you're in the tech night out live Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Ready to save? Then you're ready for the Super Summer Sale at Herbal Healer Academy. 
Herbal Healer has been the leader in quality natural supplements for 23 years. Log on to HerbalHealer.com and take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on 500 parts per million colloidal silver. The best pharmaceutical grade available at all sizes on sale. Super Male Plex with Uhimbi and Super Femplex for summer toning. Buy Glucosamine Chondroitin 60 cap summer sale priced at only $12. Colon and answer 250 caps summer sale priced at just $18. And if your brain's a little foggy, we have a great supplement on sale called Memory Power. Log on and hit the postcard specials link for more super summer savings at HerbalHealer.com. As always, new customers get a free catalog with first order. Herbal Healer Academy, healing the world with nature one person at a time. Love gardening but don't love seeing your hard work destroyed by wildlife? Then use the number one most effective deer and rabbit repellent you can buy, Plant Skid. Plant Skid repellent protects gardens, trees, and landscaping by emitting an odor that browsing animals associate with predators. So animals avoid plants before they nibble, not after. Plant Skid is made in the U.S. from non-toxic, 100% organic, environment, and pet-friendly ingredients. Other repellents wash off in the rain. Not Plant Skid. It's guaranteed to outlast all other repellents. Plant Skid was the first animal repellent to be OMRI listed organic and now comes in liquid spray, powder concentrate, or easy-to-use granular. Just sprinkle around your garden. For proven protection from deer, rabbits, squirrels, and other small rodents, use Plant Skid. Member tested and recommended by the National Home Gardening Club. Find a dealer near you at PlantSkid.com. That's PlantSkyDD.com. Ask about our new vol repellent when you call 800-252-6051. That's 800-252-6051. Plant Skid, proven plant protection, guaranteed or your money back. Will I have garlic breath after I take Ali C? We get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma. MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent. Boosts resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or garlichealthproducts.com. Fight back with Ali C. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Two more segments with Avram Pilch at Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. So the question is here, we have this Chrome OS notebook that maybe nobody wants. Wouldn't the manufacturer have done some field testing? Let me try this out, see if people really care. You mean Samsung testing stuff? Sure. You know, it's it's interesting. and, And I can say this now quite authoritatively about not just Chromebooks or not just one manufacturer, but every manufacturer has sent us products where we've caught mistakes that they've made where 
you really would think that if they tested their product, if they even used their own product for an hour or a day, they would have found what we found during our reviews process. You know how they say figures don't lie, but liars figure? You gotta think that when they're doing this kind of test, usability testing, they're kind of taking away from the testing what they want to hear. And so I, I was really shocked. I just recently put up a review of an HTC tablet called, called the, the, Evo, the Evo View 4G, uh, and it comes with a pen. And you would say, wow, this is, this is a great idea. You can take notes with it. Wonderful. And I was really excited about it. I'm going to take this with me to my Chinese class that I take every week and take notes. After one minute, I had, to, I had to put the thing down because if you lean on it while you're writing your notes, it hits the back button and you lose all your work. So you were cursing in Chinese. Yes, I sure was. I mean, and then the, the microphone doesn't record, you know, that it's supposed to record the audio of your class is inaudible. You just hear the sound of the pen whacking the screen as you're trying to write and finding out you lost your notes because you leaned on the screen wrong. I mean, did the people at HTC not use their own product? That's what it seemed like to me. When you ask, you know, did Samsung do usability studies and figure out that maybe people don't want this product or maybe this isn't really fulfilling user needs, I, you know, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised because we see it every day in a lot of products where, wow, if the, someone in the company used the product for just a, just a little while, they might have been able to, to stop this. On the other hand, maybe somebody did complain. You never know. I mean, you know, you, I'm sure you've worked in offices like I have where sometimes there'll be someone who will say, hey, you know what, I think we shouldn't do this thing. And someone else will say, yeah, well, it's too much effort not, you know, to, to change now. So there might have been someone somewhere in the company at Google or at Samsung that said, you know, maybe we should change this up a little bit. Someone else will say, well, it's too late now. We're rolling the market. You know, we see it all the time. And, and you know what? Thank God for flawed products, or else I would have nothing to talk about. Well, so where do you think Google's going to go? Are they going to try a refresh of Chrome OS, or just, that was a beta product, we'll try something else? I think they're going to keep trying to push people to use it, and I think they have a couple of milestones coming up for things that are going to make the operating system a little bit more compelling. For example, right now, it doesn't. none of the Google apps really work offline, and that's a big sticking point. I think they're going to fix that. I think the price is a big sticking point. I mean, again, or close to $500 for this thing, and you can get... I went to Best Buy last week because we needed one and bought a Dell Windows, full Windows 15-inch notebook for 350 What I think will help Google is if they can get the price down, if you know the manufacturers can get the price down to where it's actually price competitive, it's better, a better price than Windows notebooks, or Windows netbooks, then, you know, they might have an argument there. Look, ours is cheaper, and this is all you need. Uh, so there's a couple of things they can do. They're pretty dug in on this, and so I don't see them saying that they made a mistake or saying that we're going to pull this from the market. I see them kind of doubling doubling down on it, actually. So what they'll do is they keep it on there, and maybe it'll fade away quietly. You can hope. I mean, I, I think that they still see the cloud as, as the future, and they're not wrong. Cloud services are an important part of the future. I think where they're, I think where they're they're screwing up a bit is the browser itself is not necessarily the future, and and I think the UI on Chrome is an area that could uh, absolutely use some improvement. Like, why does everything have to be a web page? Could I have things that look like desktop apps but actually access the web? 
and are sort of customized to the experience of, of what I want. You know, could could my apps actually look different for each scenario instead of putting the same old browser tabs on top of my page? I think they'll they'll be able to do things like that, get offline working, and they'll kind of hope that as that as connectivity becomes more ubiquitous, that this operating system will kind of build up over time. Hey, when Windows 1.0 and 2.0 came out, nobody cared about them. It was only when you got into Windows 3.0 and 3.1 that Microsoft really had something. Sure, but in those days you had the time. Yeah, well, Google has Google has a lot of other successful things, and they know that if they could replace Windows and, and Mac OS as the desktop operating system of choice, then they would really, really, you know, own, they would really own uh, a lot of people's uh, online life. And so I think they're going, I think they're in this for the long haul. I don't see them saying, we're not going to, we're not going to try and create a notebook operating system anymore. Well, we have to see where Google has taken this. Now, I do see, with regard to the Android OS, they seem to be tightening up a little bit there, too, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, obviously, they've been trying to, you know, to, they've been not releasing the source code as quickly as people would like for things like uh, like Honeycomb. I think they've also, I think they're also taking the sort of Apple lesson of, Everybody wants a catered experience, and we're going to make sure that all of our devices offer a catered experience. Uh, but fortunately, we've also seen uh, some manufacturers talk about how they're going to be innovating on top of on top of Honeycomb. So we're going to see uh, HTC devices. I know HTC has a commitment to putting their sort of Sense UI on top of it on top of Android 3.0 to customize it. I know that Samsung uh, is going to be releasing some of its improvements. It's what it calls TouchWiz uh, for its Galaxy Tab 10.1 tablet. So they are locking down a bit, and I wish that they wouldn't, but I don't think they're at the point where they're, they're Apple or where they're Microsoft with Windows Phone 7. Well, their goals are different because Google isn't selling that. I mean, yeah. Obviously, their goal is to get people to use their ser- to use their services, and they've done a really bang of job of doing that. Right. So they're not selling that thing. So therefore, if they're not selling that thing, you know, at this point in time, they're obviously going to have to just look for sources of revenue. I mean, if they can't sell ads, they find other ways to display ads. Because that's what it's all about. It's not to sell the hardware. It's not to sell the operating system. It's that's strictly a means to an end. It's not the end of itself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Google's end and end right now is how many users can we get? So Google is in a constant expansion mode, which you know is really nice to see from a business. They're not just out there trying to. I mean, obviously they're very profitable. But they're not just out there saying, you know, we're not going to try anything different. We're not going to wait to see. We're not going to only do things that we know have an immediate return. We're going to try and saturate the market and iterate and create new things. And, you know, there's something to be said for a company that's willing to try different things, willing to experiment, and willing to bring users along for the ride. 
I mean, they've put so many products out there, like Google Wave, uh, that, you know, they weren't necessarily the best. They didn't necessarily meet people's needs, but they tried, you know. And and at least in the case of something like Wave, they were willing to, to, to go out on a limb and say, you know what, this, this kind of failed. But, you know, I appreciate the fact that Google is going out there as a technology company and trying to push the envelope. They're not sitting back there and just being reactive and saying Apple succeeded here so why can't we be like Apple they're trying to be like they're trying to innovate they're trying to be like Google and they're trying to bring other people other companies along for the ride and you know ultimately that's how Microsoft could succeed in the past I'll tell you what we'll get into more of this in our next segment Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com joins us I'm Gene Steinberg you're in the Tech Night Out Live So here's what happened. I was placing an order online. The site went down. It just stopped responding. It took hours before it returned, but I'd already placed the order with another company. If your site goes down, you could lose business. And if you have a business or personal site, you'll want to know it's easy to run and it will stay online. At iWeb, your site is hosted on one of the most reliable networks in the world. Check it out. iWeb.com. That's iWeb.com. DevonThink is a reliable information organizer, smart document manager, productivity tool, and more all in one. Devon Agent is your smart research assistant, personalized search assistant, search engine, and web browser all in one for the real answers when you search. Order these apps today. Use the coupon code TNO11, that's TNO11, for 15% off all there at DevonTechnologies.com. That's DevonTechnologies.com. The American people think they live in a constitutional republic. Land of the free, home of the brave. Right. Just try those lines on the judge when you get a ticket or have to deal with a big bad IRS. Instead, use EscapeHarassment.com. Since 1972, our volunteer group of researchers and educators have successfully taught how to escape tickets by law, and it works. Escape Harassment has three different steps to follow, depending on where you are in the ticket process. Learn how to escape tickets, IRS, or court proceedings before you go to court. For free, three-minute pre-recorded information and FAQs, call this toll-free number, one 877 9009 That's 877-457-9009. Or go to escapeharassment.com and see our money-back guarantee. That's escapeharassment.com. Remember, escape harassment works. If you're concerned about radiation poisoning from Japan in the air, water, or food and can't find potassium iodide, go to restoreyourhealthnow.com and choose liquid zeolite. Liquid Zeolite is hands down the best product to remove radiation from your body and safely removes toxins, heavy metals, boosts energy levels, and promotes a strong immune system. For fatigue, muscle weakness, headaches, memory loss, influenza, joint pain, or toxic radiation poisoning, use Liquid Zeolite from RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Liquid Zeolite is so powerful it was used to clean up contamination in Chernobyl, yet so gentle you won't even know you're taking it. Liquid Zeolite comes with a money-back guarantee but is only available at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. Learn how to get free bottles of Liquid Zeolite at RestoreYourHealthNow.com. That's RestoreYourHealthNow.com or call 800 880 
800-880-9976. Call 800-880-9976 today and learn how to get free bottles of liquid zeolite. This is an urgent message. Urgent if you care about feeding your family. S-510 has passed through Congress and will make the sale of heirloom seeds difficult. Prices of non-GMO seeds are skyrocketing and may be hard to afford in the future, if you can even find them. As the economy continues to decline, this will make the heirloom seeds worth their weight in gold and one of the best barter tools available. When food supplies eventually run out, your solution is to grow your own food and barter tool. Now, for a short time, GetSeeds.net offers 100 packets of heirloom non-GMO vegetable seeds for only $59. Pay with two ounces of pure silver or just $59. The best price on the net for high-quality seeds. Our GetSeeds.net seeds are open pollinated vegetable seeds sealed in a Mylar bag for long-term storage. Bulk pricing available. So get seeds while you still can at GetSeeds.net or call toll-free 877-341-4769. That's 877-341-4769. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. Neighbors, we're here with Abram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at LaptopMag.com, where he's the online editorial director. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night on Live. The focus has been on Google. The focus has been on Microsoft. But, you know, I guess we should spend a couple of minutes about Apple. We all saw the announcements at WWDC, especially iCloud. You know, we expected what's going to happen with Mac OS X Lion. The iOS, we kind of expected what they might bring there. The cloud, did Apple get it right? Well, I mean, I think Apple is, I think Apple obviously sees that there's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of people who are attracted to its products. And I think they did get it right in terms of trying to bring content such as iTunes directly to the cloud and really put all of your devices on the same plane. So, Somewhat to my dismay, uh, Steve Jobs said, your PC has been demoted because now your mobile devices have access to the same content and services through iCloud. And, you know, obviously that's a pretty compelling message. It, it kind of stands a little bit in contrast to the Google Chrome message where it's like, buy our Chromebook, you just need this. I think what Apple is saying is, you can use your PC, you can use your iPad, whatever you use, you know, you can, can you can choose the device, but we'll provide the service. By the way, you do know that in Mac OS X Lion, there is a migration manager that in Lion also migrates your stuff from your PC to your Mac. Yep. So you so you now you know you have the opportunity to you know to really to really choose to really choose their platform, and certainly Apple is is for years been known for trying to build out an, an ecosystem where you know the the more Kool-Aid you drink the more of their products you use together the better it's going to work for you okay so where does that leave other companies though because Apple makes the whole widget this goes back to Microsoft Microsoft wants control over the operating system and how it's used in third party devices but they don't build anything I guess they built the Zune but it was built for them so we have other companies who build hardware, 
but not the operating system, so they're in bed with somebody. And now we have Apple that has the entire widget. They have this tightly integrated ecosystem. They don't care if they sell you a tablet, and they don't sell you a PC, a Macintosh of some sort. They care if they sell you a Mac. They don't care if you don't buy the others, but they'd love to have it. They want your business no matter what you buy, but they figure that if you buy one, you're going to buy more because of the tight integration. The other companies don't seem to get that quite the same way. I, I think it, it definitely is a problem for other companies. For I mean, we we always meet with vendors like a Samsung or a Sony, uh, are, are great examples of consumer electronics companies that make computers and make phones, and and make even entertainment systems like televisions, which is something that you know every now and then it crops up. Is is Apple going to get into the TV business? Because Apple has done things like Apple TV, but people are always asking, hey, is Apple going to expand into more consumer electronics? Well, here you have companies like a Samsung or a Sony, and sometimes they'll come out with software that gives you a little bit of synchronization, but because these companies, just like Microsoft, are so siloed that they know there's really nobody there to say, hey, make Samsung net, you know, notebooks and Samsung phones work better together. Well, shouldn't Samsung, a company that has so many really good products, I mean, I was looking over some of their TV sets as we were talking. They make great, top-rated plasma TV sets, and they have Internet connectivity. You have, you have Facebook and YouTube and Netflix, all this integration, all the great features. But does it integrate with a Samsung notebook? Does it integrate with a Samsung smartphone? It's like separate no. companies with the same name. Technically, they really are, uh, and this happens in the case of a lot of companies. They're so large that you, you know, as an outside observer, you might not know this, but they really have a lot of different sub companies. And you know, when we deal with such companies and we deal with their PR angle, it's hard for us to keep track. Sometimes, you know, we'll have a meeting with Samsung uh, PR, and they'll want to talk to us just about their their hard drive products for their internal hard drives. And we'll say, oh, so what's going on with your phone? Oh, we have no idea. The phone people are in Texas. They're a different company. They're not even our company. And and that's even across borders. My understanding is, like, Samsung America is actually a different company from Samsung Korea. They don't even sometimes know when Korea is announcing a new product. So they have the same alone. parent company, but they're so totally separate division. Yeah, completely so separate that they don't that the one very often doesn't know what the other is doing and nobody really nobody really I guess cares a lot about whether or not they're communicating with each other or trying to build things together and they're not alone I mean if you look at well you mentioned you Microsoft at, earlier in the episode where the Windows team may not talk to the office team I think that at least they're under the same corporation I think in the case of some of these things they're not even t- technically the same business uh, like you take Sony uh, Sony Notebooks, you know, is actually a completely different company, I think, than Sony Ericsson, which makes the phones. So the two of them don't talk to each other at all. Do they talk to the TV people either? I don't think they do. I mean, every now and again, you'll see something where you, you can leverage one thing with the other, but very, very rarely. Uh, so the know, problem here is they don't have one ombudsman, say, who sits down in an office and says, you know what, we've got all this stuff out there in the consumer electronics arena. You look at Samsung, you buy everything from a refrigerator to a TV set to a smartphone, a tablet, personal computer, 
They don't talk to each other. They might as well be built by separate companies. How do we make these products talk to each other? Why can't I take my Samsung phone and maybe program my toaster oven or my full-size range to come on and start cooking the turkey at 2 or 3 p.m.? Right. You know, it's. I guess what these companies need is a Steve Jobs, right? Uh, He's not available. <laughs> but, you know, I, I guess it's kind of the iron hand of the, of the powerful leader, right? I mean, Steve, Apple, I guess, is still a small enough company, and Steve Jobs is has a strong enough personality to go in there and say, "Look, all these things have to work together." And I don't know what what and all would the divisions Apple, have to talk to each other. You know what would happen if Apple got so large that that they were making refrigerators? Maybe that maybe when you get to that size, you can't maintain that kind of communication. Well, Apple is know. not going to do that because Apple's DNA doesn't allow it to get into product areas that don't have some kind of vertical integration. Now, obviously, when Steve Jobs leaves, things could change, but if they do, it would take many years. It's, it's a brand identity, and I think, I think there's... Aha. I think... Yes. It's a brand identity. Right. I, think I mean, if I look I, at Samsung, I don't perceive any identity because they have so many different products. It's you know, a Sony you did at one time. Sony you had a brand identity at one time. Panasonic, kind of, sort of. Yeah, there's not really that's that's the problem exactly. These companies have gone for scale rather than identity. So yes, you can you can have a product where you can just churn you can have a company where you just churn things out and you put your name on them all. But ultimately, I think you've also seen a shift in the marketplace. How many people are Sony people anymore? How many people are, are Panasonic people or for Samsung TVs people? maybe? I think that's about it. And TVs, I think, have become so generic. I don't think there's such a thing as a bad TV except from the very cheapest companies. So you can buy just about anything based on price and what you see in the stores and the size of the picture, and you get something that works. Avram Pilch, where do we find more of the stuff you write about? Uh, go to laptopmag.com slash geeksgeek with no spaces and no hyphens. And... Uh you can see, uh, obviously, my weekly columns there, and you can find links to check out the rest of the great stuff that we have uh, about mobile technology at Laptop Mag. And, of course, you check out my stuff at technightowl.com, technightowl.com for my commentaries. Technightowl at Twitter for the Twitter stuff. Follow us, and maybe folks will follow you. We'll try. We have another radio show with a Paracast about UFOs, things that go bump in the night, but not about a guest and a host who were born two days apart in the same hospital. Okay? That's at theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Special thank you to Avram Pilch of Laptop Magazine at laptopmag.com. Thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Owl Live. Always a pleasure. The Tech Night Owl Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.